Hello and welcome to AI Day, a surprise presentation by the Tesla Life. We thought we would spring into action and uh, broadcast what we could uh, from uh, AI Day, which is scheduled to start in four minutes. When? In four minutes, like it, it's rated right eight p.m. Eastern, huh? So they say. So uh, they his, say. his plane was on the ground in the correct city this time. So oh, that's a good start. It's <laughs> a good start. Uh, unlike uh, the last one where he had to land in uh, San Jose and make his way to uh, Fremont. He should not have been in the air so close to airtime. <laughs> Somebody in the air, not on the air, buddy. Exactly. Unless you're planning on dropping the uh, plaid out the uh, plane with the parachute. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> Actually, that would have been cool. If they hooked his plane up with a, with a Starlink and then had him parachute into the into the event, That's I'm right. sure you need extra permits for that. But broadcasting all the way, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, he, he has uh, wing walked. <laughs> we are uh, just awaiting the start, and yes. uh, we will see who's who's joined us in the uh, chat room. Well, of course, Hockey Day's there. He's been Hockey there. Day was the first one in for hours. He's, he's been there since <laughs> yesterday. Uh, hello, Hockey Day. Welcome. Yes. And it uh, looks like we got 14 uh, people watching. So Okay. Starting That's good. To, starting to pack up. Yes. So we shall see as to... Uh, uh, we're only a few minutes away from start time. But as we know, Tesla start times... All Sometimes they work. work. Most of the time they don't. <laughs> they, they, are, they are typically delayed, If uh, and that's putting it nicely. So uh, if you've got pizza, eat it. <laughs> Casey you brought some pizza, but as you can see, he didn't bring enough for all of us. So No, this is leftovers. Nobody came by. We're going to have to be out on our own. Yeah, so uh, that's a good point. Hockey Day, the uh, the Boston Dynamics Atlas uh, video came out yesterday. That was interesting. Uh, two of them uh, going at the gymnast. Uh, I guess uh, it was like uh, American Ninja as it uh, uh, traversed uh, several uh, different obstacles. So uh, wouldn't that be something if uh, if uh, the Atlas showed up tonight with the Tesla logo on it? <laughs> That would be cool. Although the parkour was quite scary. I mean, I can't. I can't do half of those moves. No, no. Most of us can't. <laughs> and definitely not without an extra height to help. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's uh, that is uh, scary stuff, really. When you you watch that and you think, how long do we have left before they uh, before they take over? <laughs> She did. She did have some stuff on her on her feet. I didn't catch all of it. Wow. Because uh, she was telling Elon that she didn't want him to do something, and I thought it was a joke. But yeah, interesting. Hmm. You can't so, tell me what to well, do. The, the big question, of course, tonight is: is what are they doing that is outside of automotive? Right. Let's see the guesses in the chat. Yeah, there was a. Uh, uh, there is a, I guess it was a hint that there's going to be something announced uh, that's outside of the, the normal Tesla world. So is that something to do with the Dojo computer? 
uh, which you know could be argued that that's still part of the Tesla world. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure what it would be. Tesla Baby Walker, yes, indeed, and and Adat uh, joins. <laughs> <laughs> then they'd have to pay Star Wars revenue, so I don't think yeah. it's going to be that. Yeah, maybe they reprogrammed. Uh, what's the name of their um, their their spot at, over at Starbase? Although that would be Tesla, that wouldn't be Tesla though. No, no. Well, did they get any of them for for Fremont? The spots? Not that I heard of. There was no uh, publicity about that. Okay. If they have one, um, I know the police got in trouble for it because uh, NYPD didn't need them. <laughs> yeah, they just. Yeah. just wanted them for fun well uh, you know police and dogs have a have a long history (laughs) (laughs) and and nypd had just been through some stuff that 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 summer (laughs) it wasn't a good look remember that uh black mirror episode with the uh, that one right there yeah Uh, i think that was spot in costume (laughs) (laughs) that was was scary that was the dark side spot Mm-hmm. Uh, no yellow on that unit, let me tell you. No, no, I hear music. Yep. I'm going to mute the music just in case, because I don't know what our situation is with that. Yeah. But you're not monetized, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not uh, not going to affect us in being demonetized anyways. Right. The question is, will it kick us off the air? That's what I'm worried about. There you go. <laughs> so we'll play it safe. It better be better than the Honda robot if they do a robot. The Honda robot's probably as old as I am, isn't it? I mean, you meet myself and ask the box. It is is old. You know what I keep thinking about is uh, that Will Smith movie. Uh, Here's something I found on the web. According to GossHennis.com, the program offers a variety of activities for kindergarten through fifth grade. (laughs) Kindergarten through fifth grade. (laughs) I'll have to ask the other one. What Let me also it, mute myself. What, what was the name of that Will Smith movie with the iRobot? Uh, iRobot, yes. yes. And uh, how he wakes up to a FedEx uh, iRobot delivering a package to his door. That is uh, something that uh, would be shocking uh, to have those personal robots out doing those type of things. But uh, you know what? It's going to come. I, I really believe it is. It's not, uh, it's not uh, if, it's going to be when. Yeah, so the wrong Google device answered. <laughs> I hear it, but I can't hear it. Oh, let me try again. Will it get it this time? Oh, it got it. I just couldn't hear it because it's on the wrong endpoint. Can't reach Google at the moment. It says. <laughs> uh, what's what's it, uh, the name of the? Um... The one in Terminator? Skynet? Skynet is is, is, is already on. <laughs> <laughs> I had a robot than Amazon, so Jeff can get mad again. <laughs> Jeff who? <laughs> get the t-shirt that says Jeff who. Yes. See, that's the problem with your uh, self-following camera, uh, Casey, is that uh, when you bend down to grab a bite, the camera follows you right there. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it likes people on the TV more than it likes me. So, mm-hmm. so if if we get the presentation going, it will um, <laughs> it'll be watching Elon more than it'll watch me. <laughs> Very good. Very good. 
Alright, so I'm gonna wipe my hands clean and then try the uh, the, the actual. While we wait, I'm gonna do an update with uh, with uh, what happened with Ian yesterday in our uh, our show. He uh, he indicated he was gonna be testing uh, taking his boat out with the Model Three with the trailer. Wanted to see if he'd be able to handle it. So he shared a photo that we put up on our Twitter feed earlier today. So I'm gonna share that now. All right. And there it is. There it is. Doesn't the Model Three look small compared to the boat? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, that is a massive-looking vehicle there. Uh, so, and he uh, looks like he was going to pick up a charge at the local Tesla supercharger here in uh, Kitchener, Ontario. Pretty cool. Very cool. All right, so now that I finally got the query typed in. The research made on the E and P series led to the creation of Osimo, which began development at Hondo's Waco Fundamental Technology Research Center in Japan in 1999. It was unveiled in October of 2000. Oh, so Osimo is a lot newer than I expected. As I, I think of the whole program as, as Osimo. October so, 2000, it was unveiled. Yeah, well, that's the new, short, very sleek one. Uh, so let's see. Was there a previous one? Are oh, yeah, there were, there, were, there were previous ones. Uh, and, of course, the Osmo article is focused on Osmo. So let me say Honda Robotics. Hey, Derek. Welcome to the fold. Howdy, Derek. Honda has some really good SEO. It went from articles to um, a bunch of stuff on Honda.com. <laughs> so uh, we are officially late. Yeah, it's, now, it's, it's Elon. Uh, it's five past. <laughs> Elizabeth Dunn joins us. Hello. Larry joins class. us. Yeah. Welcome. Hey, Larry. Okay, so... Okay, I thought it was as old as me. So the uh, the Honda um, the Honda robotics program is is uh, let's see how many months older than me it is. They just have a year. Fine, whatever. So that pair of legs, the legs on a string, uh, is as old as me. <laughs> and then they made it into this big astronaut size and shaped robot. Yeah, and they then, built it in, in pieces. Obviously. Yeah, then they, yeah, then they made it sleeker. And then they realized that was intimidating, so they shrunk it to a child size. Yeah, the, uh, the eight foot, uh, eight foot uh, robot didn't make the uh, final cut. <laughs> Good. <laughs> But uh, yes, Elon time. Cameron, Cameron picked it up for his movie, so it still worked out for them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Terminator. Yes. <laughs> it says we're live, but it doesn't look it. I'm going to refresh just in case. Although the TV is also not showing anything fresh either, so that I probably didn't need to refresh it. <laughs> okay, we're definitely good now. Oh, wait, we had the music, so we're we fine. We have the music, yes. 
All right. So, Why don't you unmute for a second to see if the music's still playing? Good idea. Oh, it's spinning now. Is it spinning for a good reason? Doesn't look like it. Spinning just for fun. We gave up our place in line. That's what we did. <laughs> okay, there's the music. All right. Yeah, so what's the bet out there? How late will Elon time be? We're uh, about six and a half minutes over right now. What's what's the bet in the chat? What are we saying? Yes. And then... The, uh, uh, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or tomorrow? What do you think? Better not be tomorrow. And do we know why? Is he, <laughs> is he busy talking to the media again, or is... Is he managed to find himself stuck in traffic or something? <laughs> 20 minutes. Oh, good gracious. He's done it before. <laughs> uh, we're eight minutes in so far, so I will say another 10 minutes just because that's usually what I say with him, and then I, I blast through uh, the time. Two weeks, Larry. I hope that is not correct. Especially not an Elon two weeks. <laughs> I, I am not going to be here if that's going to be the case for sure. Yes. 15 minutes is reasonable. One dollar, Bob. <laughs> One dollar, yeah. <laughs> Not going over. No. We where's shall our, see. Where's our Oregonian friend? So what do you guys think in the chat room? What do you think uh, the big uh, surprise is going to be? The non, non-automotive announcement, apparently. The music was made by AI. <laughs> probably. Probably. I'm hoping for the FedEx robot. That's what I'm hoping for. Pat- Patrick is on Elon time. He's, he's, he's on the way. <laughs> and college professor did not show up in 15 minutes. We'll leave. This is true. I did that to my boss the other day. Um, but uh, we actually want to hear what Elon has to say. <laughs> Can't you just contact one of your friends who got a ticket from the event and see what's going on there? We, we could. The question is, will they uh, respond or are they too busy with the party? Assume, assume there's a party when he has an invite like that. I know that uh, that Rob is there, uh, Tesla Daily, and Ryan McCaffrey is there. Oh, McCaffrey got an invite, did he? I think who sent sent us pictures of the Cybertruck today? <laughs> is is it it's happening at Fremont? Mm-mm. No. Well, it it didn't look like Fremont. At least not the factory. But is it in the city? Is it in? It's definitely in California, right? It's in California for sure. Yeah. See, this is a really bad recruitment uh, video because. It, it shows that he doesn't respect your time. Unless he's actually there with, with some people during his recruitment. Well, that's yeah, exactly. This, this is one class I would not walk out of. <laughs> this is definitely, uh, it's it's an advertisement for employees, right? Like that's, Right, that's, but that's what I'm saying. Is you want to be on time if you're recruiting. Yeah, you would think so. You'd want to respect everyone's time. Mm-hmm. It's like that, um, there's the, uh, who, who is it who said that they... Um, they have a test to see who will still be there at the end of the day for a job interview. And, um, okay. So this is in Palo Alto. Um, 
And so the the guy who ends up waiting to the end of the day gets the job, but everybody who respects their time, it's like they were gone already because you keep me waiting all day. You don't respect me as a, as a person. I'm not saying that this is that because that guy was a jerk. Literally 12 hours at the office waiting for an interview. That's, that's insane. Yeah. Hmm. All right, hello to everybody who just showed up. I uh, apologize for my eating. I'm just waiting on Elon. <laughs> and then uh, Mark just showed us, uh, if you saw our show yesterday, day before yesterday? Time yesterday. time is melding. It was yesterday. Okay. <laughs> um, um, so so uh, Mark was just showing us a, an update that uh, the, the Model 3 was being pulled, or was pulling the, uh, the, the Tesla-powered boat, and that was really cool. There we go. We'll show it again. We'll show it again. <laughs> that is really cool to me. 21-foot pontoon boat. Uh, three solar panels across the top. Uh, three uh, 440-watt uh, bifacial panels. Uh, we've got uh, one, two, three, four uh, Tesla Model S battery pack uh, modules. And we have a uh, electric outboard motor as well and, and that uh, motor will need one service in the uh, in the life of the car <laughs> or the life of the boat life of the boat yeah the life of the owner of the boat <laughs> now his his his, uh, his children will probably have to do probably another service on it after that <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling it's Ian, so I have a feeling that he will be upgrading that boat at some Probably point. Probably so. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to get that 50 horsepower. He's, yeah, he's going <laughs> to decide that uh, it's not enough. Uh, I'm going to have to double its uh, double its speed or something like that. i got to be able to pull the pull the jet ski, man. That's right. That's right. i got to be able to pass the jet ski. Okay, let's see yeah. here. So uh, to Twitter. Oh, thank you, YouTube. YouTube told me that Tesla AI Day is live now. Sure, it is. I mean, it's, it's a live uh, place card feed, holder. The feed has got stuff on it. I mean, that's true. <laughs> let's it's do a, a sound live on them. place card. Still just music. Still playing the music. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I see a bunch of feeds, but I don't see anything on Twitter yet. Let's take a look here. 13 people. The owners online says, everyone said the same thing about this. Oh, they're talking about, uh, they're, they're complaining about the, the new UI on Twitter. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, and, and, um, and Trevor was showing a picture of the uh, the Model Three uh, cockpit. <laughs> it took some getting used to, but it's not that bad. Let's see here. I wish it didn't jump around like this. I don't think they've ever used uh, those type of fonts before. That's that's the first time they've used these type of fonts, I believe. Very Tron-like. Yeah. Yeah. 
Trevor, Trevor's got a picture of his TV. He's watching it, and it says uh, Elon time. <laughs> and then, uh, and then our friend Raphael, he's got his picture of his TV uh, in response. <laughs> uh, and then I don't know who Tyler Hillard is. He's got a picture of his phone or tablet. Uh, also, same deal. Everybody's making fun of the Elon time. <laughs> Two weeks. <laughs> Two weeks. Uh, yeah, actually, funny that you say that, Hockey Day. One of the comments was, Robo Elon has figured out Elon time. <laughs> oh, that would be perfect. So we're coming up on 15 minutes, or we're over 15 minutes now. Late? Yep. So uh, that eliminates a few. Who uh, who said it was twenty minutes? That was uh, is that Larry? Dodger did more in sixty nine seconds than what Gordon Johnson's done in his lifetime. <laughs> no, Hockey Day said it was twenty minutes. Okay, so Hockey Day's up next. It's five minutes or less than five minutes away. And of course, uh, this is being held at, uh, as mentioned, uh, uh, California. So that's three hours difference. It's so uh, mm -hmm. it's five fifteen local time. Maybe he's across town at the factory, which we need to talk to him about being where he's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's not like this hasn't been planned. Uh, so uh, you know, knowing that you have to be somewhere if. And he deals so much with, I, I am sure, uh, over the phone and such. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, be we saw him during, be during every astronaut. Be half an hour early and just uh, do your work up until uh, showtime. Right. Um, like we saw him during the everyday astronaut presentation where he was, you know, he just stopped and was on his phone answering uh, work stuff. Yeah. He wasn't tweeting that we know of. Uh, we know of. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like you said, just, just be there early. In fact, what we need to do is get his organizers to just start lying to him about what time it is. Just get him there an hour early. <laughs> Round him up. Mm -hmm. Get him in hair and makeup. <laughs> Omar's watching us in the Model Y. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> hey, Omar. <laughs> Let's see what we got next year. So did anybody guess what it is yet, other than uh, the robotic stuff? Nope, no guesses but robotics. Elon's brother needs to live out the time again. Yes, yes, exa exactly. Um, <laughs> Kimball did used to do that. Then Kimball would have to get everybody to, to, uh, to, to be on the same page. Haven't seen Kimball in quite some time. No, yeah, other than He's I've not, seen uh, him and his mom tweeting media. about about you know healthy healthy food, but that's all I've seen lately. Yeah. If Elon was in Fremont, going to Palo Alto, it would take about forty three minutes to get there. Traffic's heavy now at five. Hopefully, yeah. he'll take an Uber helicopter or something. I don't know if he had to go someplace to do that, or if they'll come to you. Yeah, Derek. I remember uh, I visited. Um, it was uh, the factory. We were we were staying in Hayward, just north of Fremont. And we were driving up the highway from San Jose to Hayward. And uh, that uh, drive at about, uh, that was about 4 or 5 p.m. It was just murder. 
just sitting there doing nothing, twiddling your thumbs, mm. talk about traffic, <laughs> and trying to avoid the motorcycles splitting the lanes, uh, zipping up the freeway there. I will say this about lane splitting. Uh, I am so glad that the car learned to drive in California because uh, every now and then you get some folks that are trying to lane split here that are not supposed to be. And uh, I don't hear anything but the engine as they go by me. Because, again, loud pipes don't save lives. So I don't hear them until after they've passed me. It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? And like that, and it's already passed you at that point. But the car saw them. It knew what to do with them. It's like it doesn't do like the trucks where it holds over, but it doesn't. Like sometimes it wavers in the lane a little bit. Like we're talking like half of an inch or something. Uh, but it, it gets extra rock steady when, when, when it has that single headlight coming up on it. At, uh, and I, you know, coming from a province that doesn't have lane splitting, it shocked the hell out of me the first time I saw it. Yes. <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> Maybe Grimes will come out to introduce Cybergirl again this time. That would be fun. Um, let's see. 880 is packed. 880 is the highway, I guess. I assume. Uh, motorcycle riders do exercise their split lane rights uh, in places where it's allowed, but we're talking about places where it's not allowed, like Washington, D.C. Uh, area and uh, Canada. <laughs> Is it allowed anywhere up there or nowhere? Uh, not anywhere that I'm aware of. But like you said, it does happen anyways. If there's yes. a, you know, a major uh, backlog, you catch a few motorcycles splitting the lanes. Yeah, the airplane would be fun though. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That he's ready to do it yet. Uh, so if he did it, do you think it'd be a jet or would it be like the NASA prototype where it's got like all those mini fan blades, uh, turbo turbo fans? Well, I guess they wouldn't really. They would just be propellers at that point. Yeah, because <laughs> there's no gas. Yeah, hockey day. You're beyond twenty minutes. All right, next guesses. Uh, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go eight thirty. <laughs> Midnight Eastern. No, don't do that. <laughs> All right, and then you guys well, in the chat. Only three hours and forty minutes. <laughs> that would be excessive, even for him, and especially if he was stuck in traffic. All right, so in the chat, what are your guys' next guesses? <laughs> Check on the music real quick. Yes, indeed. Oh, new track. Eight twenty nine. Oh, one dollar, Bob. <laughs> That's not cool, man. <laughs> uh, ten more minutes, okay? So, so they they boxed me in, man. <laughs> eight twenty nine, eight thirty, and eight thirty one. There you go. Or eight thirty two. I'm sorry. There's Mr. Patrick Connor connecting. There's his square. <laughs> there he is. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I have to open the shutter. Close All right, so what's your guess? Uh, you said enough of that close work. <laughs> work is over. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> That's right. Bam. <laughs> That's why I'm still eating this pizza. I was working right up to the last second. <laughs> yeah. I was just kind of a, a meeting that two hours wasn't long enough. It had to go 22 minutes over. <laughs> that was the worst. Oh. The worst. Brutal. It's like, who holds meetings at the end of the day? 
So there is Patrick, no end of the day. Already, <laughs> we've already had our first round of guesses as to how late, and of course, uh, nobody everybody won. lost. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you What do you think? And it's uh, it's about twenty three minutes past already. Yeah, what time maybe. do you think this will ultimately start? I'm going to go with um, thirty four minutes after. Thirty-four. That's my so guess. you're only about twelve minutes or eleven minutes away from 11 now. Eleven minutes from now, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've had a couple of uh, ten-minute guesses. Casey went with a dollar. <laughs> oh, hockey day went with a dollar. <laughs> JT twenty-four joins us. How you doing? Oh JT? man. Hopefully, you can at least do the one-year thing, Derek. Oh yeah, you're gonna miss it, Derek. But we do have um, we do have uh, DVR turned on, so you can you can pause it if you have to. We'll try to put it in the chat what time it actually comes back. That way you can skip right to it. Yes, indeed. Dream LED, Dreamcast LED. Yeah, we talked about my uh, light before. I've got the uh, instructions here. I don't know if Dreamcast is hey, the brand or not. Exactly. The only reason I didn't say uh, just whenever was like I didn't want you guys to think that we forgot to hit the button. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to hit the button. We've been broadcasting for 20 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so this one's not called Dreamcast. It's called Touch Magic. Ooh. Touch Magic. Touch Magic. Yeah. <laughs> By that whatever that is, I don't know how you say that. Noxu. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I I can't argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you want. You yeah, say, that's called Fred, and I'd be like, all yeah, right, it's, I'm it's, gonna call it Mazda. It's uh, Ox, silent uh, N, and silent U. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're not all. We're not about the Knox here. No Knox. <laughs> there we go. We're there's there's got a good set it. Do you think there'll be one more thing? That's a great question, oh. and I certainly hope so. I'm thinking of one more thing is the outside of automotive. What yeah. is a robot? A robot? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for the FedEx robot from uh, from the Will Smith movie. But but don't forget that FedEx has got a, a partnership with GM's uh, oh, cart true. delivery so it'll, thing. It'll be uh, UPS. Ah. <laughs> so or why DHL? Prime's playing with the Boston Dynamics robot? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And um was think, was there a Tesla logo on the Boston Dynamics logo? There was the a robot? Tesla sticker on it. Okay. That, ah. that just seems like a, a, a slimy. We're just going to tape over Boston Dynamics and put Tesla on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was was the was I didn't see it. Was the sticker placed strategically or was it just like slapped on? Like oh. was it side? Knowing, knowing those two, that's no. lined up no. nicely. It was knowing those two, and they could have just put it like on the cod piece, and that would have been just just their humor. <laughs> <laughs> because because we know what's happened with Boston Dynamics in the past, right? They've been bought and sold several times. They get they get they get passed around like a party. <laughs> yep. Isn't, um, Remember Google or now? Google or Alphabet bought them, and and then they sold yep. them. I'm surprised Amazon didn't buy them. I think. Didn't Hyundai buy them? Yes, yeah, 80%. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Hmm. 
So, okay, yeah, there's your, uh, let's start the vicious rumor that Tesla's just going to buy Hyundai, all of it, just, <laughs> all of it. <laughs> just to get Boston Dynamics. They'll sell the other parts off later. Kind of exactly. Good they didn't with, care about uh, the, the car part. They were just yeah. after the robots. Right. That's what they did with Maxwell Technology. I was about to say, right? yeah, it wasn't the first time they've done it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> There's the nice vicious rumor. <laughs> Spicier Dynamics. <laughs> what? I missed that. What was that comment? <laughs> oh, here you go. Yes, indeed. Uh, so we're, what, uh, three minutes away from uh, half past the hour? Three minutes from mine, two minutes from Hockey Days, and what's that? Seven minutes from yeah, uh, seven minutes. Yeah, I uh, I don't think they're gonna do a robot. I know there was all the Twitter hints, but that just um, I, I know they said outside of vehicles, so that that does uh, that would be outside of vehicles. Yeah, and and I'm thinking like, something. Would you Tesla would you consider energy. would you consider the dojo part of the vehicles? Yes. Oh. Um, they could announce the dojo is available for other purposes, and that that um, they've already effectively said that that it will be eventually available for other training purposes. So that would make sense, um, and I'm sure we'll hear about dojo today. <laughs> the one thing I'd say is I would repeat Elon's advice to Rivian to to Elon. Uh, maybe you should build the factory before. Um, making more factories <laughs> right yeah get dojo dojo working before you start selling it as a service yes um, um, um the only the only exception i would put to that is if whatever halfway solution they have today is is uh code compatible with dojo and they just don't need all of its capabilities from when it would go online like the aws model right but even AWS, it was first made for Amazon. AWS, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, for for you know Christmas season, and then right. oh, we've got all these servers doing nothing. What do we do next? <laughs> right. Yes. I can't yes. turn them so, off. <laughs> yeah, it's the parking lot that you uh, build out for Black Friday, yeah. and then you have space to uh, rent out to uh, fireworks displays. I was about to say the fireworks vendors. <laughs> yeah, in, in July. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would be so happy. If it is the uh, the snake charger, except that that's that's also in the wheelhouse of automotive. Oh, but yeah. if they just do that anyway, then Elon can make his uh, his fairly bending over quiet, in front of it fairly, joke. Fairly quiet on that front. Elon, of course, reinstated restated that yes, uh, that is <laughs> that is part of the options out there. <laughs> oh, we missed it, Brian! Damn it, <laughs> we, we, we got the we got the invitation uh, to Stephen Hawking's event, but. Uh, <laughs> As by design, it was after the event was over. <laughs> yeah, the the one more thing is a time machine. Yes. Hey, Anders. <laughs> what do we want? A time machine. When do we want it? When Anytime. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Robots at work and superchargers to move east vehicles. Yeah. Hmm. I, I I think that the uh, the robot charger is is going to be key to 
uh, all the stuff he's promised us with, with the FSD. I guess we could change the banner. I mean, we're well past welcome. Waiting on Elon? <laughs> <laughs> Elon time. Yes. Right. MST, Musk standard time. <laughs> Let's edit this one. And Elon. Yeah, instead of Mountain Standard, Musk Standard Time. <laughs> MST. Yeah, so it's uh, okay. So we're beyond 30 minutes. All right, so uh, me, Derek, and Hockey Day have lost. Uh, you've got a couple minutes there. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I, I didn't think they'd be 30 minutes late. Well, uh, not after a... the plane was in the right town. I think if it was just an online event, they probably would start on time. But this, you know, people are shuffling in and getting their hors d'oeuvres and drinks and seats and whatever. I don't, this isn't as big as some of their other events, but still there's, you know, they have to let the people do the mingling. If, especially yeah. if the primary point of this is a recruitment, right? So they want the people there chatting it up with each other and the Tesla folks that are there and the recruiters that are there. So that's would you think there would also be people interested in this job that will be watching remotely though? Oh, oh of absolutely. Yeah. Especially so given the new think, normal. <laughs> would you think that punctuality would be a bonus uh for that? Or something in the realm of punctuality? <laughs> I really want a job at Tesla, but they never start their presentations on time. So screw them, I'm not gonna do it. No. Because people don't care. We don't care. This is exciting stuff. <laughs> what, if you, what if you're already comfortable and you didn't need to need to yeah. switch? I, I, I could see them making that decision. Hmm. Um, so I would say maybe uh, Andre or uh, Elon has got caught up in one of the prospects, and they're just going at it. Yeah. You too can create this music for AI all day. Or, all you need is computer all the time. Uh, someone on the neural link uh, <laughs> right now. <laughs> 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 I was I watching think... um, a little bit of uh, OpenAI Codex today. Um, this person was making a video game just by typing in what they wanted it to do, <laughs> and then it would generate code. Brian, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they were just they were just uh, yeah. What so were they doing to to create the code? Just typing in. English language. And, oh yeah, I like that uh, on on, uh, on OpenAI. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah OpenAI Codex, and so it would give you a, a comment that had you know you, what you had asked it to do, and then it would show you the code to do it, and you could just write sections of code that way. And then uh, if they if it didn't work for whatever reason, you could just change the wording around a little bit so it would interpret it better, and then get the results. Yeah, that was super cool to see. Yeah, try it out sometime. I didn't, who, I didn't uh, sign up for the challenge to try it out. I want to try it oh, out on both, my own both speed. Both you guys are coders, so do you think that that <laughs> is the future? Oh, um, for a lot of people, the, if yeah. it makes if it democratizes programming, I'm uh, sure. I mean, there's still going to be things it doesn't do perfectly, and you'll have to call in an expert to fix it if for production code for the real world, but for right. an, an, an app that uh, you know, hey, grab this stat from that web page and this from that web page, and then display it with the temperature or whatever. And yeah. boom, you've got a, a custom web page built or, or an app on your phone or whatever. Uh, th this is definitely, I'm sure there would be a lot of professionals that would just 
do this because it would be easier to throw it together and then you know they can have their secret sauce and the parts that matter but for for the bulk of it yeah this yeah. is yeah anything that makes it easier people are lazy we're all lazy it's just human nature <laughs> like bill gates says find me the laziest programmer and that's the one i want because <laughs> they do everything efficiently <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, a good example is like most of us can change our own oil, but uh, it's faster if you go to uh, the shop to do it because that's all they do all day long is you know, not just change oil, but you know that, that's something that that the oil change loop does all day long. Right. Is they're pros, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You get it done in five ten minutes. For us, it might take thirty. <laughs> I was going to say three hours for me. But <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. Stop and drink a beer in the middle. <laughs> yes, the, the Hank Hill method of getting anything done. <laughs> yes. So so I wonder if they would have any more of the joint positions uh, between SpaceX and uh, and Tesla, like they have for uh, AI and – or not AI – Well. There were some materials. Uh, the materials is the one I was thinking mm-hmm. uh, first. Materials, fusion and welding, the, the the welding. They share another employee high level like that. Aside from Elon, I've heard of a couple of cases of it, but I wonder if they share any any regular employees that way too. Not the lidar folks at SpaceX. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> they do have lidar folks. <laughs> I wonder if they if they share the lidar folks with boring. Hmm. There's not a lot you can do visually there. <laughs> it's just dirt on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Actophotons might be useful down there. <laughs> Speaking of boring, getting a little closer to that end of the 45-day wait period for Fort oh, Lauderdale. That's exciting. That's, that's going to be coming up, I would say, in the next two weeks. Two weeks? Uh, how, how, do <laughs> how do we think that Russell's going to take that one? Uh, <laughs> uh. It's it's impossible to build tunnels in that place. Come yeah, on, no one's ever ever us. done it before, right? <laughs> it's funny that someone was saying that, and uh, the uh, the Fort Lauderdale transportation office said, "Well, we, we've had a tunnel for a hundred years now, just down the yeah. road." <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes it floods up, but we got these things called pumps, and oh, uh, right. you know, and since we didn't build the walls out of sugar, everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Honda yeah, Copilot is not a very good name, Hockey Day. Um, what do we think about the investigation? So I think that um, that they're doing their due diligence, but I'm also thinking that this is yet another waste of resources based on the name of something and a bunch of individuals not using it correctly. Uh, well, a bunch of individuals, but how many people don't use their cars correctly in the first place and that part. crashes, right? So what I'm hoping comes out of this is uh, that they show statistically that autopilot is as safe or significantly safer, and it shuts a bunch of the naysayers up. Although the naysayers don't tend to shut up. They tend to just overlook the fact, the truth. They move the, they and, move the goalposts. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's not like... Uh, well, emergency responders started. aren't already getting hit by drunks and people uh, texting on their phone or sleep or not paying attention as it is. Uh, oh, yep, we got something behind you there. There we go. There we go. I'm gonna refresh it because that one is faster than this one for some reason. Should I? I'm not 
We might get lost in line. <laughs> yeah. We'll just have a preview of what's about to happen. <laughs> So 838, where we're at, the 838 is one. Or 538. <laughs> well, I guess it depends on your perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> Unless it's just the new, uh, the new music. It's a new way to sell us. They video to the music. <laughs> They've done it before. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, audience, how are the levels with us versus the music? Should I turn it down on the music side? I think until they start talking, maybe. Okay. Can you wait? <laughs> so with this video, they're definitely um, starting with FSD. I mean, I like uh, that. Yeah. So I mean. Uh, they had their autonomy day, so it sounds like uh, at least some of this will be a recap of, of that. Which is good, because I'm sure they made a lot of advancements since we had autonomy day. They have. Thanks, JT. Thanks, Derek. Absolutely. Right, so I'm going to change this uh, to the title of the show. Can anyone pick out where this is being filmed? That's Let's a good see. question. I like the slow-mo right there. It doesn't yeah. run over bicyclists. <laughs> <laughs> no children were harmed in the making of this video. <laughs> Looks like the video is looping now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I have a feeling this is just a music track with some video. <laughs> so maybe uh, whoever had 38 after did not win. Yeah, <laughs> we maybe, gotta go for maybe not. Well, they were right for something <laughs> happening. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So now we go for when do we see a Tesla person on stage? A presenter. Uh, yeah. I'm going to turn down further because uh, folks on Twitter were complaining about the uh, music. Oh, wow. It totally just looped. Like the, it wasn't even a smooth jump cut. Like if they had looped it, <laughs> that would have been awesome. But I suspect they weren't planning on needing this. <laughs> Or at least not this many iterations of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Five more minutes. That's optimistic at this point. It does look like Palo Alto. Mm. I... If only they gave us enough resolution to read the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And So uh... when's the button coming? How many times is, is that question going to be asked oh in different gosh. ways tonight? Oh my gosh. Where's the button? Not Dude. soon enough. Yeah. I'm really surprised that no one's come up with a third-party button to stick on their screen yet. There have been a couple <laughs> of joke buttons, though. Yeah, go into to their paint app and just draw a button. <laughs> that's, that's what most of the people did. Uh, some people stuck something like a post-it note to the, to the screen. Uh. Yep. Let's, let's see if our I'm, Twitter people say anything. I'm going to 3D print them and start selling them. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> the one person's got it streaming on every screen in the house, just in case. Uh, Mark Benson says you can create this music for AI Day. All you need is a computer and a little talent. Could be worse. Techno King. 
Yes. <laughs> That'd be cool if it's if like he, he did this. Let's see. That's Xbox news. We don't care about Xbox at the moment. Oh, uh, Trevor That's found the, the playlist on Spotify. Oh. Tesla AI Day at uh, open.spotify.com. All cool. right. Why isn't this the yoke? Because it's a Model 3. <laughs> it might be a Model Y, but it looks like a Model 3 based on the, the height mm -hmm. of everything around it. Yeah. Uh, imagine during an Amber Alert, they, they use the Tesla cameras to look for the vehicles. That would be awesome Ooh. if you could like opt into that. Uh, I, I wouldn't want it to be automatic just because of all the uh, the tinfoils complaining about it. But if they could say Amber Alert and then you could push the help me uh, find it button, that would be cool. Or, or if it was connected to the uh, police department like that, can you imagine all the automatic tickets that could be written for violations? <laughs> that, 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 would be, that would put me under some tinfoil. Rolling <laughs> stops. <laughs> How many Teslas do we see in this loop? <laughs> I saw one, the blue one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was going to be a thing where they were stopping by a, a Tesla, but that didn't seem... I didn't see another one throughout it. So it was one I of thought the that was going to be a theme. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of um, you being able to opt in to something like that where... Uh, Even per yeah. incident. That would be awesome. Yeah, you, so it would just be a setting that you could go in and you could either say yes, I just want I want to be in all the Amber Alerts, or yeah. missing children reports, whatever, uh, or uh, I want to be no, I don't want any of that, or prompt me, and then you could say yes or no when you were out on the road. Although I don't know, do you really need it per incident? Yeah, just make it a big button because you're on you're on AT and T, so you're already getting it as a text message anyway. Right now, it's just throwing it away. Right. Um, but would you want that while you're driving to pop up on the screen? Yes. Yeah, because my phone is already going crazy in my pocket. Yeah, that's true. I <laughs> so would not read it on the, on, the, on the safe screen rather than in my pocket. Um, so that would be funny is uh, somebody's just so used to hitting the thing and, and they're the kidnapper and they hit it. And it's them. <laughs> 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 this is me. I'm traveling down the high five now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess if if the car is driving for me. Then I've got plenty of. I could it drives you straight to the police me. department. <laughs> <laughs> it locks the doors and takes you there. Yeah. <laughs> Disables emergency overrides. <laughs> it starts playing the sirens on the external speakers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> here. You guys, All right, yes, indeed. Eight, coming up to eight forty-five or five forty-five, depending where you're. Right. At. They, right. they they have to start before being a full hour late. That's that's just too much. They've done that before too, though. Yeah. When was the longest wait? What 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 are you thinking? The one that the went long, over an hour. What was that? Longest one I can remember was us just over an hour with with, with um. It was one of his one of his car unveil. Cybertruck. Right? Cybertruck was pretty darn late. I don't think it was the latest we've done though. Model Y was really late. Just builds up the anticipation. Which one was on time? That was the one that surprised us all. Because uh, we were all getting ready to get our yeah. popcorn and stuff, and then it started. <laughs> Last weekend, my front cam captured a rear end accident in front of me. Ooh, yeah, I mean, this is what, one thing I love it. about dash cams is they, you know, just having them always running. You 
you see the darndest things. Wham, bam, dash cam. That's right. <laughs> Love that show. Love the Shout wham, bam Tes- channel. Tes- Tesla cam, yeah. Just a bit. That's right. <laughs> I was trying not to infringe on their... Uh... <laughs> no, just no, you, it's, you, it's you're really calling them cool up. Show. It's yeah. free advertising. Yeah. Fantastic uh, weekly show on Sundays it's released. Although uh, I have to say that uh, it uh, kind of scares people watching it because there's so many accidents, with, and it seems like the guy's only owned his car for three days every time. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can have, if you have your car for less than a week, uh, you should watch it. If there's a Honda behind me now, I'm freaked out because right. <laughs> <laughs> seems to be a theme on that show: Hondas rear-ending Teslas. What the hell? <laughs> Oh, I think I spotted a, a white Model Y. There you go. Uh-oh. Oh, yes. Time, buddy. Not an hour late. We made it. And, um, sorry, some, uh, oh, it's stuck. We really need AI for this. Speak up. So uh, what, what we want to uh, show today is that uh, Tesla is uh, much more than an electric car company, uh, that we have uh, deep AI activity uh, in um, hardware on the inference level, on the training level, um, and, uh, and basically, we, I, we, I think we're, I think arguably the leaders in real-world AI as it applies to the real world. Um, and th- those of you who have seen the full self-driving uh, beta, I uh, can appreciate the rate at which the Tesla neural net is learning to, to drive. And um, so this is a, a particular application of AI, but I think there's there's more, there are more applications uh, down the road that will make sense, and we'll talk about that later in the presentation. But um, yeah, we tr- basically want to encourage anyone who is interested in solving real-world AI problems uh, at either the hardware or the software level to join Tesla or consider joining Tesla. So let's see. We'll start off with uh, Andre. Yep. Right. Uh-oh. Andre's mic's even worse. Yeah. I like it? Okay, hello. There we go. Great. Okay, hi, everyone. Um, welcome. Uh, my name is Andre, and um, I, am, uh, I lead the vision team here at Tesla Autopilot, and I'm incredibly excited to be here uh, to kick off this section, giving you a technical deep dive into the Autopilot stack. And All right, is that shirt on their shop yet? That go right. Right. by itself. So we're going to start off with the vision component here. Now, in the vision component, what we're trying to do is we're trying to design a neural network that processes the raw information, uh, which in our case is the eight cameras that are positioned around the vehicle. And they send us images, and we need to process that in real time into what we call the vector space. And this is a three-dimensional representation of everything you need for driving. So this is the three-dimensional positions of lines, edges, curbs, uh, traffic signs, traffic lights, uh, cars, their positions, orientations, depths, velocities, and so on. Um, so here I'm showing a video of, um, actually, hold on. Apologies. So here I'm More showing a video of the raw inputs that come into the stack, and then neural processes that into the vector space. And you are seeing parts of that vector space rendered in the instrument cluster on the car. Now, 
what I find kind of fascinating about this is that we are effectively building a synthetic animal from the ground up. So the car can be thought of as an animal. It moves around, it senses the environment, and uh, you know. Sorry, <laughs> probably shouldn't have Oh no! <laughs> I saw them degrade the quality on us. I bumped it back up, and uh, sorry. No, that's section, The synthetic visual cortex. Now, the biological visual cortex actually has quite intricate structure and a number of areas uh, that organize the information flow of this brain. And so in particular, in, our, in your visual cortices, um, the information hits the um, light, hits the retina, goes through the LGN all the way to the back of your visual cortex, goes through areas V1, V2, V4, the IT, the ventral and the dorsal streams, and the information is organized in a certain layout. And so when we are designing the visual cortex of the car, we also want to design the neural network architecture of how the information flows in the system. So the processing starts in the beginning when light hits our artificial retina, and we are going to process this information with neural networks. Now, I'm going to roughly organize this section um, chronologically. So starting off with some of the neural networks and what they looked like roughly four years ago when I joined the team and how they have developed over time. So roughly um, four years ago, the car was mostly driving in a single lane going forward on the highway, and so it had to keep lane and it had to keep distance away from the car in front of us. And at that time, all of processing was only on individual image level. So a single image has to be analyzed by a neural net and make little pieces of the vector space, uh, process that into a little pieces of the vector space. So this processing um, took the following shape. We take a 1280 by 960 input, and this is 12-bit integers streaming in at roughly 36 hertz. Now we're going to process that with a neural network. So we instantiate a feature extractor backbone. In this case, we use residual neural networks. So we have a stem and a number of residual blocks connected in series. Now the specific class of ResNets that we use are RegNets, uh, because we this is like a very, RegNets offer a very nice design space for neural networks, because they allow you to very nicely trade off latency and uh, accuracy. Now these RegNets give us as an output a number of features at different resolutions and different scales. So in particular, on the very bottom of this feature hierarchy, we have very high resolution information with very low channel counts, and all the way at the top, we have low spatial, low resolution spatially, but high channel counts. So on the bottom, we have a lot of neurons that are really scrutinizing the detail of the image, and on the top, we have neurons that can see most of the image and a lot of that context, have a lot of that seen context. We then like to process this with feature pyramid networks. In our case, we like to use BiFPNs, and they get the they get to multiple scales to talk to each other effectively and share a lot of information. So for example, if you're a neuron all the way down in the network and you're looking at a small patch and you're not sure if this is a car or not, it definitely helps to know from the top layers that hey, you are actually in the vanishing point of this highway. And so that helps you disambiguate that this is probably a car. After a BiFPN and a feature fusion across scales, we then go into task-specific heads. So for example, if you are doing object detection, we have a one-stage YOLO-like object detector here where we initialize a raster, and there's a binary bit per position telling you whether or not there's a car there, and then in addition to that, if there is, here's a bunch of other attributes you might be interested in. So the XY with height offset, or any of the other attributes, like what type of a car is this, and so on. So this is for the detection by itself. Now, very quickly we discovered that we don't just want to detect cars, we want to do a large number of tasks. So, for example, we want to do traffic light recognition and detection, a lane prediction, and so on. So very quickly, we converge in this kind of a architectural layout where there's a common shared backbone and then branches off into a number of heads. So we call these, uh, therefore, hydronets, and these are the heads of the hydra. 
Now, this architectural layout has a number of benefits. So number one, uh, because of the feature sharing, we can amortize the forward pass inference uh, in the car at test time. And so this is very efficient to run. Um, because if we had to have a backbone for every single task, uh, that would be a lot of backbones in the car. Number two, this decouples all of the tasks, so we can individually work on every one task in isolation. And for example, we can, uh, we can uprev any of the data sets or change some of the architecture of the head and so on, and you are not impacting any of the other tasks. And so we don't have to revalidate all the other tasks, which can be expensive. And number three, because there's this bottleneck here in features, um, what we do fairly often is that we actually cache these features to disk and when we are doing these fine-tuning uh, workflows, we only fine-tune from, from the cached features up and only fine-tune the heads. So most often, in terms of our training workflows, you, we will do an end-to-end -end training run once in a while where we train everything jointly, then we cache the features um, at the multi-scale feature level, and then we fine-tune off of that for a while, and then end-to-end -end train once again, and so on. So here's the kinds of predictions that we were obtaining, I would say, several years ago now, uh, from one of these hydronets. So again, we are processing individual images. There we go. We are processing just individual image and we're making a large number of predictions about these images. So for example, here you can see predictions of the stop signs, uh, the stop lines, uh, the lines, the edges, the cars, uh, the traffic lights, uh, the curbs here, uh, whether or not the car is parked, uh, all of the static objects like trash cans, cones, and so on, and everything here is coming out of the net, uh, here in this case, out of the hydronet. So that was all fine and great, but as we worked towards FSD, we quickly found that this is not enough. So where this first started to break was when we started to work on Smart Summon. Here I am showing some of the predictions of only the curb detection task, and I'm showing it now for every one of the cameras. So we'd like to wind our way around the parking lot to find the person who is summoning the car. Now the problem is that you can't just directly drive on image space predictions. You actually need to cast them out and form some kind of a vector space around you. Um, so we attempted to do this using C++ and developed uh, what we call uh, the occupancy tracker at the time. So here we see that the curb detections from the images are being stitched up across camera scenes, camera boundaries, and over time. Now there were two, pro two major problems I would say with the setup. Number one, we very quickly discovered that tuning the occupancy tracker and all of its hyperparameters was extremely complicated. You don't want to do this explicitly by hand in C++. You want this to be inside the neural network and train that end to end. Number two, we very quickly discovered that the image space is not the correct output space. Uh, you don't want to make predictions in the image space, you really want to make it directly in the vector space. So here's a way of illustrating the issue. So here I'm showing on the first row the predictions of our curbs and our lines in red and blue. And uh, they look great in the image, but once you cast them out into the vector space, things start to look really terrible and we are not gonna be able to drive on this. So you see how the predictions are quite bad in vector space, and the reason for this fundamentally is because you need to have an extremely accurate depth per pixel in order to actually do this projection. And so you can imagine just how high of a bar it is to predict that depth so accurately in these tiny, in every single pixel of the image. And that's why so most vendors use LiDAR. Predictions, you will not be able to because it's not an yep. image uh, space uh, concept in that case. So we very quickly real, uh, the other problems with this, by the way, is also for object detection. If you are only making predictions per camera, then sometimes you will encounter cases like this where a single car actually spans five of the eight cameras. And so if you are making individual predictions, then no single camera since sees all of the car, 
And so obviously you're not going to be able to do a very good job of predicting that whole car. And it's going to be incredibly difficult to fuse these measurements. So we have this intuition that what we'd like to do instead is we'd like to take all of the images and simultaneously feed them into a single neural net and directly output in vector space. Now this is very easily said, much more difficult to, to actually achieve, but roughly we want to lay out a neural net in this way where we process every single image with a backbone and then we want to somehow fuse them <laughs> and we want to re-represent uh, the, the features from image space features to directly some kind of a vector space features and then go into the decoding of the head. Now, um, so there are two problems with this. Problem number one, how do you actually create the neural network components that do this transformation? Um, and you have to make it differentiable so that end-to-end -end training is possible. And number two, uh, the, if you want vector space predictions from your neural net, you need vector space data sets. So just labeling images and so on is not going to get you there. You need vector space labels. We're going to talk a lot more about problem number two later in the talk. For now, I want to focus on the neural network architectures, so I'm going to deep dive into uh, problem number one. So here's the rough problem, right? We're trying to have this bird's eye view prediction instead of image space predictions. So for example, let's focus on the single pixel in the output space in yellow. And this pixel is trying to decide, am I part of a curb or not, as an example. And now, where should the support for this kind of a prediction come from in the image space? Well, we know roughly how the cameras are positioned and their extrinsics and intrinsics, so we can roughly project this point into the camera images, and you know, the evidence for whether or not this is a curve may come from somewhere here in the images. The problem is that this projection is really hard to actually get correct because it is a function of the road surface. The road surface could be sloping up or sloping down, or also there could be other data-dependent issues. For example, there could be an occlusion due to a car. So if there's a car occluding this, this uh, viewport, this, this part of the image, then actually you may want to pay attention to a different part of the image, uh, not the part where it projects. And so because this is data dependent, it's really hard to have a fixed transformation for this uh, component. So in order to solve this issue, uh, we use a transformer to re represent this space. And the, this transformer uh, it uses multi-headed self-attention and blocks off it. Um, in this case, actually we can get away with even a single block uh, doing a lot of this work. And effectively what this does is you initialize a raster of the size of the output space that you would like, and you tile it with positional encodings with signs and coses in the output space. And then these get encoded with an MLP into a set of query vectors. And then all of the images and their features also emit their own keys and values, and then the queries, keys, and values feed into the multi-headed self-attention. And so effectively what's happening is that every single image piece is broadcasting in its key uh, what, it is, what is it a part of. So hey, I'm part of a pillar in roughly this location and I'm seeing this kind of stuff, and that's in the key. And then every query is something along the lines of, hey, I'm a pixel in the output space at this position and I'm looking for features of this type. Then the keys and the queries interact multiplicatively and then the values get pooled accordingly. Um, and so this re-represents the space and we found this to be very effective for this transformation. So if you do all of the engineering correctly, this again is very easily said, uh, difficult to do, you do all of the engineering correctly, um, there's, one more, there's one more problem actually before. <laughs> I'm not sure what's up with the slides. So one more thing, you have to be careful with some of the details here when you are trying to get this to work. So in particular, all of our cars uh, are slightly cockeyed in a slightly different way. And so if you're doing this transformation from image space to the output space, you really need to know what your camera calibration is. And you need to feed that in somehow into the neural net. And so you could definitely just like concatenate the cal camera calibrations of all of the images and somehow feed them in with an MLP. 
Uh, but actually, we found that we can do much better by transforming all of the images into a synthetic virtual camera using a special rectification transform. So this is what that would look like. Um, we insert a new layer right above the image, rectification layer. It's a function of camera calibration, and it translates all of the images into a virtual common camera. So if you were to average up a lot of repeater images, for example, which faced at the back, uh, you would, without doing this, you would get a kind of a blur. But after doing the rectification transformation, you see that the back mirror uh, gets really crisp. So once you do this, uh, this improves the performance quite a bit. So here are some of the results. So on the left, we are seeing what we had before. And on the right, we're now seeing significantly improved predictions coming directly out of the neural net. This is a multi-camera network predicting directly in vector space. And you can see that it's basically night and day. Uh, you can actually drive on this. And uh, this took some time and some engineering and incredible work from the AI team uh, to actually get this to work and deploy and make it efficient in the car. This also improved a lot of our object detection. So for example, here in this video, I'm showing single camera predictions in orange and multi-camera predictions in blue. And basically, if you, if you can't predict these cars if you are only seeing a tiny sliver of a car. So your detections are not going to be very good and their positions are not gonna be good. But a multi-camera network does not have an issue. Here's another video from a more nominal sort of situation. And we see that as these cars in this uh, tight space cross camera boundaries, there's a lot of jank that enters into the predictions. And basically the whole setup just doesn't make sense, especially for very large vehicles like this one. And we can see that the multi-camera networks struggle significantly less with these kinds of predictions. Okay, so at this point we have multi-camera networks and they're giving predictions directly in vector space, but we are still operating at every single instant in time completely independently. So very quickly we discovered that there's a large number of predictions we want to make that actually require the video context and we need to somehow figure out how to feed this into the net. So in particular, is this car parked or not? Is it moving? How fast is it moving? Is it still there even though it's temporarily occluded? Or for example, if I'm trying to predict the road geometry ahead, uh, it's very helpful to know of the signs or the road markings that I saw 50 meters ago. So we tried to develop, um, we tried to insert video modules into our neural network architecture and this is kind of one of the solutions that we've converged on. So we have the multi-scale features as we had them from before. And what we are going to now insert is a feature queue module that is going to cache some of these features over time. And then a video module that is going to fuse this information temporally. And then we're going to co continue into the heads that do the decoding. Now I'm going to go into both of these blocks uh, one by one. Also in addition, notice here that we are also feeding in the kinematics. Uh, this is basically the velocity and the acceleration that's telling us about how the car is moving. So not only, are, not only are we going to keep track of what we're seeing from all the cameras, but also how the car has traveled. So here's the feature queue and the rough layout of it. We are basically concatenating these features um, over time and the kinematics of how the car has moved and the positional encodings, and that's being concatenated, encoded, and stored in a feature queue and that's going to be consumed by a video module. Now there's a few details here again to get right. So in particular, with respect to the pop and push mechanisms and when do you push and how, and especially when do you push basically. So here's a cartoon diagram illustrating some of the challenges here. There's going to be a, the ego car is coming from the bottom and coming up to this intersection here and then traffic is going to start crossing in front of us and it's going to temporarily start occluding some of the cars ahead. And then we're going to be stuck at this intersection for a while and just waiting our turn. This is something that happens all the time and is a cartoon representation of some of the challenges here. So number one, with respect to the feature queue and when we want to push into a queue, obviously we'd like to have some kind of a time-based queue where for example, we enter features into the queue say every 27 milliseconds. 
And so if a car gets temporarily occluded, then the neural network now has the power to, be, to look and reference the memory in time and, and learn the association that, hey, even though this thing looks occluded right now, there's a record of it in my previous features and I can use this to still make a detection. So that's kind of like the more obvious one, but the one that we also discovered is necessary in our case is, for example, suppose you're trying to make predictions about the road surface and the road geometry ahead, and you're trying to predict that I'm in a turning lane and the lane next to us is going straight. Then it's really necessary to know about the line markings and the signs, and sometimes they occur a long time ago. And so if you only have a time-based queue, you may forget the features while you're waiting at your red light. So in addition to a time-based queue, we also have a space-based queue. So we push every time the car travels a certain fixed distance. So some of these details actually can matter quite a bit. And so in this case, we have a time-based queue and a space-based queue to, to cache our features, and that continues into the video module. Now, for the video module, we looked at a number of possibilities of how to fuse this information temporally. So we looked at three-dimensional convolutions, transformers, axial transformers in an effort to try to make them more efficient, recurrent neural networks of a large number of flavors, but the one that we actually like quite a bit as well and I want to spend some time on is a spatial recurrent neural network video module. And so what we're doing here is because of the structure of the problem, we're driving on two-dimensional surfaces, we can actually organize the hidden state into a two-dimensional lattice. And then as the car is driving around, we update only the parts that are near the car and where the car has visibility. So as the car is driving around, we are using the kinematics to integrate the position of the car in the hidden features grid and we are only updating the RNN at the points where we, where we have, uh, that are nearby us, sort of. Lag. Um, so here's an example of what that looks like. Here, what I'm going to show you is the car driving around, and we're looking at the hidden state of this RNN, um, and these are different channels in the hidden state. So you can see that this is after optimization and training this neural net. You can see that some of the channels are keeping track of different aspects of the road. Like for example, the centers of the road, the edges, the lines, uh, the road surface, and so on. Here's another cool video of this. Uh, so this is looking at the mean of the first 10 channels in the hidden state for different uh, traversals of different intersections. And all I want you to see basically is that there's cool activity <laughs> as the recurrent neural network is keeping track of what's happening at any point in time. And you can imagine that we've now given the power to the neural network to actually selectively read and write to this memory. So for example, if there's a car right next to us and is occluding some parts of the road, then now the network has, a, has the ability to not write to those locations. But when the car goes away and we have a really good view, then the recurrent neural, neural network can say, okay, we have very clear visibility. We definitely wanna write information about what's in that part of space. Here's a few predictions that show um, what this looks like. So here we are making predictions about the road boundaries in red, intersection areas in blue, um, road centers, and so on. So we're only showing a few of the predictions here just to keep the visualization clean. Um, and yeah, this is, this is done by the spatial uh, RNN. And this is only showing a single clip, a single traversal, but you can imagine there could be multiple trips through here and basically a number of cars, a number of clips could be collaborating to build this map, basically and effectively an HD map, except it's not in the space of explicit items, it's in a space of features of a recurrent neural network, which is kinda cool, I haven't seen that before. Um, the video networks also improved uh, our um, object detection quite a bit. 
So in this example, I want to show you a case where there are two cars over there, and one car is going to drive by and occlude them briefly. So look at what's happening with the single frame and the video predictions uh, as the cars pass in front of us. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. So a quick uh, playthrough through what's happening. When both of them are in view, the predictions are roughly equivalent, and you are seeing multiple orange boxes because they're coming from different cameras. Um, when they are occluded, the single frame networks drop the detection, uh, but the video module remembers it, and we can persist the cars. And then when they are only partially occluded, the single frame network is forced to make its best guess about what it's seeing, and it's forced to make a prediction, and it makes a really terrible prediction. But the video module knows that the, there's only a partial, uh, that uh, you know, it has the information, and knows that this is not a very easily visible uh, part right now, and doesn't actually take that into account. We also saw significant improvements in our ability to estimate depth and, of course, especially velocity. So here I am showing a clip from our Remove the Radar Push, uh, where we are seeing the radar depth and velocity in green, and we were trying to um, match or even surpass, of course, the signal just from video networks alone. And what you're seeing here is in uh, orange, we are seeing a single frame performance, and in blue, we are seeing, again, video modules. And so you see that the quality of depth is much higher, and for velocity, the orange signal, of course, you can't get velocity out of a single frame network, so we, use, uh, we just differentiate depth to get that. But the video module actually is basically right on top of uh, the radar signal. Yeah, so, you can't even tell the difference between the blue and the green. That's awesome. So here's putting everything together. Uh, this is what our architecture roughly looks like today. So um, we have raw images feeding on the bottom. They go through a rectification layer to correct for camera calibration and put everything into a common uh, virtual camera. We pass them through uh, regnets, residual networks, to process them into a number of features at different scales. We fuse the multi-scale information with BIFBN. This goes through a transformer module to re-represent it into the vector space and the output space. This feeds into a feature queue in time or space that gets processed by a video module like the spatial RNN and then continues into the branching structure of the hydronet with trunks and heads for all the different tasks. And so that's the architecture roughly what it looks like today. And on the right, you are seeing some of its predictions uh, sort of visualized both in a top-down vector space and also in images. Um, so definitely, uh, this architecture has definitely complexified from just a very simple image-based single network about three or four years ago and continues to evolve. Um, it's definitely quite impressive now. There's still opportunities for improvements that the team is actively working on. For example, you'll notice that our fusion of time and space is fairly late in neural network terms. So maybe we can actually do earlier fusion of space or time and do, for example, cost volumes or optical flow-like networks on the bottom. Uh, or for example, our outputs are dense rasters, and it's actually pretty expensive to post-process some of these dense rasters in the car. And of course, we are under very strict latency requirements, so this is not ideal. We actually are looking into all kinds of ways of predicting just the sparse structure of the road, maybe like you know, point by point or in some other fashion that, is, uh, that doesn't require expensive post-processing. But this basically is how you achieve a very nice vector space. And now I believe Ashok is going to talk about how we can run play and control on top of it. Thank you, Andre. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Ashok. I lead the planning and controls, auto labeling, and simulation teams. Um, so, like Andre mentioned, the vision networks take dense video data and then compress it down into a 3D vector space. The role of the planner now is to consume this vector space and get the car to the destination while maximizing the safety, comfort, and the efficiency of the car. Even back in 2019, our planner was a pretty capable driver. 
it was able to stay in the lanes, make lane changes as necessary, and take exits of the highway. But city-seat driving is much more complicated. Um, rarely there are um, structured lane lines. Um, vehicles do much more free-from driving uh, than the car has to respond to all of uh, curtains and crossing vehicles uh, and pedestrians doing funny things. What is the key problem in planning? Number one, the action space is very non-convex. And number two, it is high-dimensional. What I mean by non-convex uh, is uh, there can be multiple possible solutions that can be independently good, but getting a globally consistent solution uh, is pretty tricky. So there can be pockets of local minima that the planning can stu get stuck into. Uh, and secondly, uh, the high-dimensionality comes because the car needs to plan for the next 10 to 15 seconds. Uh, it needs to produce the position, velocities, and acceleration uh, over this entire window. This is a lot of parameters to produce at runtime. Discrete search methods uh, are really great at solving non-convex problems because they are discrete, they, can, they don't get stuck in local minima, whereas continuous function optimization can easily get stuck in local minima and produce poor solutions that are not great. On the other end, for high-dimensional problems, uh, discrete search sucks because um, of the um, it, it is discrete, uh, it does not use any graded information, so it literally has to go and explore each point to know how good it is. Whereas continuous optimization uses gradient-based methods to very quickly go to a good solution. Our solution to this entire problem is to break it down hierarchically. First, use a code search method to crunch down the uh, uh, non-convexity and come up with a convex corridor, and then use continuous optimization techniques to make the final smooth trajectory. Let's see an example of how the search operates. Um, so here, uh, we're trying to do a lane change. Um, in this case, the car needs to do two back-to-back -back lane changes to make the left turn up ahead. For this, the car searches over uh, different maneuvers. Um, so in the, fir the, the first one it searches is a lane change that's close by, but the uh, car breaks pretty harshly, so it's pretty uncomfortable. The next maneuver it tries, that's the lane change bit late, so it speeds up, goes in, the other car, goes in front of the other cars, and finally does the lane change, but now it risks missing the left turn. We do thousands of such searches in a very short time span. Um, because these are all physics-based models, these futures are very easy to simulate, uh, and in the end, we have a set of candidates, and we finally choose one based on the optimality conditions of safety, comfort, and easily making the turn. So now the car has chosen this path, and you can see that as the car executes this trajectory, uh, it pretty much matches what we had planned. The cyan plot on the right side here, um, that one is the actual velocity of the car, and the white line underneath it is, was the plan. So we are able to plan for 10 seconds here and able to match that uh, when we see in hindsight. So this wow. is a well-made plan. When driving alongside other agents, it's important to not just plan for ourselves, but instead we have to plan for everyone jointly and optimize for the overall scene's traffic flow. In order to do this, what we do is we literally run the autopilot planner on every single relevant object in the scene. Here's an example of why that's necessary. Um, this is an auto corridor. I'll let you watch the video for a second. Yeah, that was autopilot driving in an auto corridor, going around parked cars, cones, and poles. Uh, here, there's a 3D view of the same thing. Uh, the oncoming car arrives now, 
And Autopilot slows down a little bit, but then realizes that we cannot yield to them because we don't have any space to our side. But the other car can yield to us instead. So instead of just blindly braking here, Autopilot reasons about that car um, has low enough velocity that they can pull over and should yield to us because we cannot yield to them, and assertively makes progress. A second oncoming car arrives now. This vehicle has higher velocity, um, and like I said earlier, we literally run the autopilot planner for the other object. So in this case, we run the planner for them. That object's plan now goes around their, their side's parked cars, and then after they pass the parked cars, goes back to the right side of the road for them. Since we don't know what's in the mind of the driver, we actually have multiple possible futures for this car. Here, one future is shown in red, the other one is shown in green. Um, the green one is a plan that yields to us. But since this object's velocity and acceleration are pretty high, we don't think that this person is going to yield to us, and they are actually going to go around these parked cars. So Autopilot decides that, okay, I have space here. Uh, this person is definitely going to come, so I'm going to pull over. So as Autopilot is pulling over, we notice that that car has chosen to yield to us based on their yaw rate and their acceleration. And Autopilot immediately changes its mind and continues to make progress. This is why we need to plan for everyone, because otherwise we wouldn't know that this person is going to go around the other park cars uh, and come back to their side. If we didn't that do this, crazy. Autopilot would be too timid and would not be a practical self-driving car. It's cool that it's so making that in real time and can change its mind. Set up a convex valley. Uh, finally, we do a continuous optimization to produce the final trajectory that the planner uh, needs to take. Uh, here, the gray uh, thing is the convex corridor, uh, and we initialize the spline in heading and acceleration, parameterized over the arc length of the plan. Um, and you can see that the optimization continuously makes fine-grained changes to reduce all of its costs. Some of the costs, for example, are distance from obstacles, um, traversal time, and uh, comfort. For comfort, you can see that the lateral acceleration plots on the right have nice trapezoidal shapes. Uh, it's gonna come up, yeah, here on the right side, the green plot. Um, it has a nice trapezoidal shape, and if you record a human trajectory, this is pretty much how it looks like. Uh, the lateral jerk is also minimized. So in summary, we do a search for both us and everyone else in the scene. Uh, we set up a convex corridor, and then optimize for a smooth path. Together, these can do some really neat things like um, shown above. But driving looks a bit different in other places, like where I grew up from. Um, uh, it's very much more unstructured, uh, cars and pedestrians cutting each other, arch braking, honking. Um, it's a crazy world. Um, we can try to scale up these methods, uh, but it's going to be really difficult to efficiently solve this at runtime. What we instead want to do is use learning-based methods to efficiently solve them. Um, and I want to show why this is true. Um, so we're going to go from this complicated problem to a much simpler toy parking problem, but still illustrates the core of the issue. Here, this is a parking lot. Um, the ego car is in blue, and it needs to park in the green parking spot here. So it needs to go around the curbs, the parked cars, uh, and the cones shown in orange here. So this is a simple baseline. It's a A-star, it's a standard algorithm that uses a lattice space search. Um, and, and the heuristic here is a distance, uh, the Euclidean distance to the goal. So you can see that it directly shoots towards the goal, but very quickly gets trapped in a local minima. And it backtracks from there and then searches a different path to try to go around this park car. Eventually, it makes progress and gets to the goal, but it ends up using 400,000 nodes for making this. Obviously, this is a terrible heuristic. We want to do better than this. So if you added a navigation route to it and has the car to follow the navigation route while being close to the goal, this is what happens. The navigation route helps immediately, uh, but still, when it encounters uh, cones or other obstacles, 
it basically does the same thing as before. Backtracks and then searches their whole new path. And this poor search has no idea that these obstacles exist. It literally has to go there, check if it's in collision, and if it's in collision, back up. Um, the navigation heuristic helped, but still this took 22,000 nodes. We can design more and more of these heuristics to help the search uh, make, go faster and faster, but it's really tedious and hard to, to design a globally optimal heuristic. Even if you had a distance function from the cones that guided the search, this would, not, this would, not be, this would only be effective for a single cone, but what we need is a global, global value function. So instead of what we want to use is neural networks to give this heuristic for us. The, ve the vision networks produces a vector space, and we have cars moving around in it. This basically looks like an Atari game, uh, and it's a multiplayer version. Uh, so we can use techniques such as uh, Mu0, Alpha0, et cetera, that was used to solve Go and other Atari games to solve the same problem. So we're working on neural networks that can produce state and action distributions that can then be plugged into Monte Carlo tree search uh, with various cost functions. Some of the cost functions can be explicit cost functions like distance to like collisions, comfort, traversal time, et cetera, but they can also be uh, uh, interventions from the actual manual driving events. We train such a network for this simple parking problem. So here again, the same problem. Let's see how MCTS tree search does. So here you notice that the planner is basically able to, in one shot, make progress towards the goal. Uh, to notice that this is not even using a navigation heuristic. Just given the scene, the planner is able to go directly towards the goal. All the other offshoots you're seeing are possible options. It's not choosing any of them, just choosing the option that directly takes it towards the goal. Uh, the reason is that the neural network is able to absorb the global context of the scene and then produce a value function that effectively guides it towards the global minima as opposed to getting it stuck in any local minima. So this only takes 288 nodes and several orders of magnitude less than what was done in the A star with the Euclidean uh, distance uh, heuristic. So this is what a final architecture is gonna look like. The vision system is gonna crush down the dense video data into a vector space. Uh, it's gonna be consumed by both an explicit planner and a neural network planner. In addition to this, the network panel can also consume intermediate features of the network. Together, this produces a trajectory distribution, uh, and um, it can be optimized end-to-end, -end, both with explicit cost functions and human intervention and other imitation data. This then goes into explicit planning function that does uh, whatever is easy for that and produces the final steering and acceleration commands for the car. With that, we need to now explain how we train these networks. And for training these networks, we need uh, large data sets. Um, I'm with Andre to speak briefly about manual labeling. Yeah, so the, data, the story of data sets is critical, of course. So far, we've talked only about neural networks, but neural networks only establish an upper bound on your performance. Many of these neural networks, uh, they have hundreds of millions of parameters, and these hundreds of millions of parameters, they have to be set correctly. <laughs> if you have a bad setting of parameters, it's not going to work. So neural networks are just an upper bound. You also need massive data sets to actually train the correct algorithms inside them. Now, in particular, I mentioned we want data sets directly in the vector space, and so the really the question becomes, how can you accumulate, because our networks have hundreds of millions of parameters, how do you accumulate millions and millions of vector space examples that are clean and diverse to actually train these neural networks effectively? Now, so there's a story of data sets and how they've evolved on the side of uh, all of the models and developments that we've achieved. Now, in particular, when I joined roughly four years ago, we were working with a third party to obtain a lot of our data sets. 
Now, unfortunately, we found very quickly that working with a third party to get data sets for something this critical was just not going to cut it. Uh, the latency of working with a third party was extremely high, and uh, honestly, the quality was not amazing. And so in the spirit of full vertical integration at Tesla, we brought all of the labeling in-house. And so over time, we've grown more than 1,000-person uh, data labeling org that is full of professional labelers who are working very closely with the engineers. So actually, they're here in the US and co-located with the engineers here in Bay Area as well. And so we work very closely with them. And we also build um, all of the infrastructure for them from scratch ourselves. So we have a team who we are going to meet later today um, that develops and maintains all of this infrastructure for data labeling. And so here, for example, I'm showing some of the screenshots of some of the latency, throughput, and quality statistics that we maintain about all of the labeling workflows and uh, the individual people involved and all the tasks and how the numbers of labels are growing over time. Um, so we found this to be quite critical and we're very proud of this. Now, in the beginning, roughly three or four years ago, most of our labeling was in image space. And so you can imagine that this is taking quite some time to annotate an image like this, and this is what it looked like, uh, where we are sort of drawing polygons and polylines on top of, um, on top of these single individual images. As I mentioned, we need millions of vector space labels, so this is not going to cut it. So very quickly, we graduated to three-dimensional or four-dimensional labeling, where we are directly labeling in vector space, not in individual images. So here what I'm showing is a clip, and you are seeing a very small reconstruction. You're about to see a lot more reconstructions soon, but it's a very small reconstruction of the ground plane on which the car drove, and a little bit of the point cloud uh, here that was reconstructed. And what you're seeing here is that the labeler is uh, changing the labels directly in vector space, and then we are reprojecting those changes into camera images. Uh, so we're labeling directly in vector space, and this gave us a massive increase in throughput for a lot of our labels, because you label once in 3D, and then you get to reproject. Um, but even this, we realized, was actually not going to cut it. Um, so, because people and computers have different pros and cons. So people are extremely good at things like semantics, but computers are very good at geometry, reconstruction, triangulation, tracking. And so really for us, it's much more becoming a story of how do humans and computers collaborate to actually create these vector space data sets. And so we're gonna now talk about auto-labeling, which is some of the infrastructure we've developed for labeling these clips at scale. Hi again. So even though we have lots of human laborers, the amount of training that are needed for training the network significantly outnumbers them. So we tried to invest in a massive auto-labeling pipeline. Here's an example of how we label a single clip. A clip is an entity that has dense sensor data, like videos, IMU data, GPS, odometry, et cetera. Uh, these can be 45 seconds to a minute long. These can be uploaded by our own engineering cards or from customer cards. We collect these clips and then send them to uh, our servers where we run a lot of neural networks offline to produce intermediate results, like segmentation mask, depth, uh, point matching, et cetera. This then goes through a lot of robotics and AI algorithms to produce a final set of labels that can be used to train the networks. One of the first tasks we want to label is the road surface. Typically, we can use splines or meshes to represent the road surface, but those are, uh, because of the topology restrictions, are not differentiable and not uh, amenable to producing this. So what we do instead is in the style of neural radiance fields work from last year, uh, which is quite popular. So we use an implicit representation to represent the road surface. Here. We are querying XY points on the ground and asking for the network to predict the height of the ground surface along with various semantics such as curbs, lane boundaries, road surface, driveable space, et cetera. 
So given a single x, y, we get a z. Together, these make a 3D point, and they can be reprojected into all the camera views. So we make millions of such queries and get lots of points. These points are reprojected into all the camera views. In, we are showing on the top right here one such camera image with all these points reprojected. Now we can compare this point, a reprojected point, with the image space prediction of the segmentations. And jointly optimizing this over all the camera views, both across space and time, produces an excellent reconstruction. Here's an example of how that uh, looks like. So here, this is an optimized road surface that reprojects into the eight cameras that the car has and across all of time. And you can see how it's consistent uh, across both space and time. So a single car driving through some location can sweep out some patch around the trajectory using this technique. But we don't have to stop there. So here, we collect, collected different clips uh, from the same location, from different cars maybe, uh, and each of them sweeps out some part of their road. Cool thing is we can bring them all together into a single giant optimization. So here, these 16 different trips are organized uh, using, uh, aligned using various features such as road edges, lane lines, all of them should agree with each other and also agree with all of their image space observations. Together, this, is, this produces an effective way to label the road surface, not just where the car drove, but also in other locations that it hasn't driven yet. Again, the point of this is not to just build HD maps or anything like that. It's only to label the clips through these intersections. So we don't have to maintain them forever, as long as the labels are consistent with the videos that, were, that they were collected at. Optionally, then humans can come on top of this and clean up any noise or add additional metadata to make it even richer. We don't have to stop at just the road surface. We can also arbitrarily reconstruct 3D static obstacles. Um, here, uh, this is a reconstructed uh, 3D point cloud from our cameras. Um, the main innovation here is the density of the point cloud. Typically, these points require texture uh, to form associations from one frame to the next frame. But here, we are able to produce these points even on textureless surfaces like the road surface or walls. Uh, and this is really useful to annotate arbitrary obstacles that um, we can see on the see in the world. One more cool advantage of doing all of this on server on the servers uh, offline is that we have the benefit of hindsight. This is a super useful hack because, uh, say, in the car, the, the network needs to produce the velocity. It just has to use the historical information and guess what the velocity is. But here, um, we can look at both the history but also the future and basically cheat and uh, get the correct answer. Uh, of the kinematics, like velocity, acceleration, et cetera. One more advantage is that we can have like, different tracks, but we can stitch them together th even through occlusions, because we know the future, we have future tracks, we can match them and then associate them. So here you can see the pedestrians on the other side of the road are persisted even through multiple occlusions by these cars. This is really important for the planner, because the planner needs to know if it saw, if it saw someone, it still needs to uh, account for them even then they're occluded. So this is a massive advantage. Combining everything together, we can produce these amazing data sets that annotate um, all of the road texture, all of the static objects, and all of the moving objects, even through occlusions, producing excellent kinematic uh, labels. All, you can see how the cars turn smoothly, produce uh, really smooth labels, all the pedestrians are consistently tracked, uh, the parked cars uh, have basically zero velocity, so we can also know that they are parked. So this is huge for us. This is one more example of the same thing. Um, you can see how everything is consistent. We want to produce a million such uh, labeled uh, clips 
then train our video, uh, multicam video networks with such a large data set and really crush this problem. We want to get the same view that's consistent that you're seeing here in the car. We started our first exploration of this with the Remove the Radar project. Um, we removed it in a very top, uh, short time span, I think, within three months. Um, in the early days of the network, we noticed, for example, in low visibility conditions, uh, the network can suffer uh, understandably because obviously this truck just dumped a bunch of snow on us and it's really hard to see. But we should still remember that this car was in front of us. But our uh, networks early on did not do this because of the lack of data in such conditions. So what we did, we had the fleet to produce lots of similar clips. And the fleet responded, it did. Uh, so it produces, uh, is it play? Yeah. Uh, it produces lots of video clips where shit's falling out of all other vehicles. <laughs> and we sent this through our auto-labeling pipeline that was able to label 10K clips in within a week. This would have taken several months with humans labeling every single clip here. Um, so we did this for 200 of different conditions, and we were able to very quickly create large data sets, and that's how we were able to remove this. So once we train the networks with this data, uh, you can see that it's totally working and keeps the me in memory that this object was there uh, and uh, provides this. So finally, we wanted to actually get a cyber truck into a data set uh, for the remove the radar. Um, can you all guess where we got this clip from? I'll give you a moment. Someone said it. Yes. Yes, it's rendered. It's our simulation. Uh, it was hard for me to tell initially, and I, if, I may, if I may say so myself, it looks pretty. Uh, it looks very pretty. Um, so yeah, in addition to auto-labeling, we also invest heavily in using simulation for labeling our uh, data. So this is the same scene as um, seen before, uh, but from a different camera angle. So a few things that I wanted to point out, uh, for example, the ground surface. It's not uh, plain asphalt. There are lots of cars and uh, cracks and tar seams. Uh, there's some patchwork done on top of it. Um, vehicles move realistically. The truck is articulated, uh, even goes over the curb and makes a wide turn. Um, the other cars uh, behave smartly. They avoid collisions, go around cars, uh, and also smooth and accelerate smoothly, uh, brake and accelerate smoothly. Oh, that's a completely unrealistic then. <laughs> uh, the car here with the logo on the top is autopilot. Actually, autopilot is driving that car, and it's making unprotected left turn. Um, and since it's a simulation, it starts from the vector space. So it has perfect labels. Uh, here we show a few of the labels that we produce. Um, these are vehicle cuboids with kinematics, um, depth, surface normals, segmentation. But um, Andre can name a new task that he wants next week, and we can very quickly produce this because we already have the vector space and we can write the code to produce these labels very, very quickly. So when does simulation help? It helps, number one, when the data is difficult to source. As large as our fleet is, it can still be hard to get some crazy scenes, like this couple and their dog running on the highway while there are other high-speed cars around. Um, this is a pretty rare scene, I'd say, but still <laughs> can happen, and Autopilot still needs to handle it when it happens. When data is difficult to label, um, there are hundreds of pedestrians crossing the road. The cap goes right by. Totally realistic. Downtown, people crossing the road. <laughs> it's going to take several hours for humans to label this clip. And even for automatic labeling algorithms, this is really hard to get the association right, and it can produce like bad velocities. But in simulation, this is trivial because you already have the objects. You just have to like spit out the uh, cuboids and the velocities. And also, finally, when we introduce closed-loop behavior, where the cars needs to be in a determined situation or the data depends on the actions, this is pretty much the only way to get it uh, reliably. All this is great, 
what's needed to make this happen? Number one, accurate sensor simulation. Again, the point of the simulation is not to just produce pretty pictures. It needs to produce what the camera in the car would see and other sensors would see. So here, we are stepping through different exposure settings of the real camera on the left side and the simulation on the right side. Uh, we're able to pretty much match what the real cameras do. In order to do this, we had to model a lot of the uh, properties of the camera uh, in our sensor simulation, um, starting from sensor noise, motion blur, optical distortions, even headlight transmissions, uh, uh, even like uh, diffraction patterns of the windshield, et cetera. We don't use this just for the autopilot software. We also use it to make hardware decisions such as lens design, camera design, sensor placement, uh, even headlight transmission properties. Second, we need to render the visuals uh, in a realistic manner. You cannot have what uh, in the game industry called jaggies. Uh, these are aliasing artifacts that are a dead giveaway that uh, this is simulation. We don't want them. So we go through a lot of paints to produce a nice spatio-temporal uh, spatio anti-aliasing. Uh, we also are working on neural rendering techniques to make this even more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in addition, we also use ray tracing to produce realistic lighting and global illumination. Okay, that's the last of the cop cars, I think. <laughs> um, we obviously cannot have uh, really just four or five cars because the network will easily overfit because it knows the sizes. Um, so we need to have realistic assets, like the moose on the road here. Uh, well, that must be Canada. We have thousands of assets in our <laughs> that's library. That's Moose Joe, Saskatchewan, uh, obviously. And actually can move realistically. So this is really cool. We also have a lot of different locations mapped and created uh, to create these uh, sim environments. We have actually 2,000 miles of uh, uh, road built, and this is almost the length of the uh, roadway from the east coast to the west coast of the United States, which I think is pretty cool. In addition, we have built efficient tooling to build several miles more on a single day on a, for a single artist. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. Actually, most of the data that we use to train is created procedurally using algorithms as opposed to artists making these simulation scenarios. So these are all procedurally created roads uh, with lots of parameters such as curvature, um, various varying trees, cones, poles, cars with different velocities, and the interaction produce an endless stream of data for the network. But a lot of this data can be boring because the network may not already get it correct. So what we do is we use also ML-based techniques to basically perturb the network to see where it's failing at and create more data around the failure points of the network. So this is in closed loop trying to make the network performance be better. We don't want to stop there. Um, so actually we want to create, uh, recreate any failures that, the, that happens to the autopilot in simulation so that we can hold autopilot to the same bar from then on. So here on the left side, you're seeing a real clip that was collected from a car. It then goes through our auto-labeling pipeline to produce a 3D reconstruction of the scene along with all the moving objects. With this combined with the original visual information, we recreate the same scene synthetically and create a simulation scenario entirely out of it. So, and then when we replay autopilot on it, autopilot can do entirely new things and we can form new worlds, new outcomes from the original failure. This is amazing because we really don't want autopilot to fail and when it fails, we want to capture it uh, and keep it uh, to that bar. Not just that, we can actually take the same approach that we said earlier and take it one step further. We can use neural rendering techniques to make it look even more realistic. Um, so we take the original, original video clip, recreate a synthetic uh, simulation from it, 
and then apply neural rendering techniques on top of it, and it produces this, which looks amazing in my opinion, because this one is very realistic and looks almost like it was captured by the actual cameras. Um, this is a result from last night, <laughs> because it was cool and we wanted to present it. Um, but yeah, it, it, yeah, I'm very excited for what Sim can achieve. But this is not all bullshit, because networks trained in the car already use simulation data. We used 300 million images with almost half a billion labels, and we want to crush down all the tasks that are going to come up for uh, the next several months. With that, I invite Milan to see, uh, to explain how we scale these operations and really build a label factory uh, and spit out millions of labels. All right, thanks, Ashok. Hey, everyone, I'm Milan. Uh, I'm responsible for the integration of our neural networks in the car and for most of our neural network training and evaluation infrastructure. And so tonight, I'd just like to start by giving you some perspective into the amount of compute that's needed to power this type of data generation factory. And so in the specific context uh, of the push we went through as a team here a few months ago to get rid of the dependency on the, the radar sensor for the pilot, we generated over 10 billion labels across two and a half million clips. And so to do that, we had to uh, scale uh, our huge offline neural networks and our simulation engine across thousands of GPUs and just a little bit shy of 20,000 CPU cores. On top of that, we also included over 2,000 actual autopilot full self-driving computers in the loop with our simulation engine. And that's our smallest compute cluster. Um, so I'd like to give you some uh, idea of what it takes to take our neural networks and um, move them in the car. Uh, and so the, the, the two main constraints that we're working under here uh, are mostly latency and frame rate, uh, which are very important for safety, but also to uh, get proper estimates of acceleration and velocity of, of our surroundings. And so the meat of the problem really is around uh, the AI compiler that we write and extend here within the group that essentially maps the compute operations for my PowerTorch model uh, to a, a set of dedicated and accelerated uh, 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 pieces of hardware. And we do that while figuring out a schedule that's optimized for throughput uh, while working under severe SRAM constraints. And so by the way, we're not doing that just on one engine, but on, across two engines on the autopilot computer. And the way we use those engines here at Tesla is such that uh, at any given time, only one of them will actually output control commands to the vehicle, while the other one is used as an extension of compute. But those roles are interchangeable, both at the hardware and software level. So how do we iterate quickly together as a group uh, through these AI development cycles? Well, first, we have been scaling our uh, uh, capacity to evaluate our software and neural network dramatically over the past few years. And today, we're running over a million evaluations per week on any code change uh, that the team is producing. And uh, those evaluations run on over 3,000 actual full cell driving computers that are hooked up together in a dedicated uh, uh, cluster. And so on top of this, we've been developing really cool uh, debugging tools. And so here is a video of one of our tools, which is uh, helping developers uh, uh, iterate through the development of uh, neural networks and comparing live uh, the outputs from different revisions of a same neural network model as reiterating live through uh, video clips. And so last but not least, uh, we've been scaling our uh, neural network training compute dramatically over the past few years. And today we're barely shy of 10,000 GPUs, which, just to give you some sense, in terms of number of GPU, uh, is more than the top five publicly known supercomputers in the world. 
Um, but that's not enough, and so I'd like to invite uh, Ganesh to talk about the next steps. Here comes the dojo. <laughs> yeah, they better mention it. Thank you, Milan. <clears throat> My name is Ganesh, and I lead Project Dojo. It's an honor to present this project on behalf of the multidisciplinary Tesla team that is working on this project. As you saw from Milan, there's an insatiable demand for speed as well as capacity for neural network training. And Elon prefetched this, and a few years back, he asked us to design a super fast training computer. And that's how we started Project Dojo. Our goal is to achieve best AI training performance and support all these larger, more complex models that Andre's team is uh, dreaming of and be power efficient and cost effective at the same time. So we thought about how to build this and we came up with a distributed compute architecture. After all, all the training computers out there are distributed computers in one form or the other. They have compute elements in the box out here, connected with some kind of network. In this case, it's a two-dimensional network, but it could be any different network. CPU, GPU, accelerators, all of them have compute, little memory, um, and network. But one thing which is common trend amongst this is it's easy to scale the compute. It's very difficult to scale up bandwidth and extremely difficult to reduce latencies. And you'll see how our design point catered to that, how our philosophy addressed these aspects of traditional limits. For Dojo, we envisioned a large compute plane filled with very robust compute elements backed with large pool of memory and interconnected with very high bandwidth and low latency fabric and in a 2D mesh format. And on to this, for extreme scale, big neural networks will be partitioned and mapped to extract different parallelism, model, graph, data parallelism. And then a neural compiler of ours will exploit spatial and temporal locality such that it can reduce communication footprint to local zones and reduce global communication. And if we do that, our bandwidth utilization can keep scaling with the plane of compute that we desire out here. We wanted to attack this all the way, top to bottom of the stack, and remove any bottlenecks at any of these levels. And let's start this journey in an inside-out fashion, starting with the chip. As I described, chips have compute elements. Our smallest entity of scale is called a training node. And the choice of this node is very important to ensure seamless scaling. If you go too small, it will run fast, but the overheads of synchronization will, and software will dominate. If you pick it too big, it will have complexities in implementation in the real hardware and ultimately run into memory bottleneck issues. Because we wanted, to address, we wanted to address latency and bandwidth as our primary optimization point, let's see how we went about doing this. What we did was we picked the farthest distance a signal could traverse in a very, clock, very high clock cycle. In this case, 
2 gigahertz plus. And we drew a box around it. This is the smallest latency that a signal can traverse, one cycle at a very high frequency. And then we filled up the box with wires to the brink. This is the highest bandwidth you can feed the box with. And then we added machine learning compute underneath, and then a large pool of SRAM. And last but not the least, a programmable core to control. And this gave us our high-performance training node. What this is, is a 64-bit superscalar CPU optimized around matrix multiply units and vector SIMD. It supports floating point 32, bfloat 16, and a new format, CFP8, configurable FP8. And it is backed by one and a quarter megabyte of fast ECC-protected SRAM and the low-latency, high-bandwidth fabric that we designed. This might be our smallest entity of scale, but it packs a big punch. More than one teraflop of compute in our smallest entity of scale. So let's look at the architecture of this. The computer architects out here may recognize this. This is a pretty capable architecture as soon as you see this. It is a superscalar in-order CPU with four-wide vector and two-wide, two-wide, uh, four-wide scalar and two-wide vector pipes. We call it in order, although the vector and the scalar pipes can go out of order, but for the purists out there, we still call it in order. And it also has four-way multi-threading. This increases utilization because we can do compute and data transfers simultaneously. And our custom ISA, which is the instruction set architecture, is fully optimized for machine learning workloads. It has features like transpose, gather, link traversals, broadcast, just to name a few. And even in the physical realm, we made it extremely modular, such that we could start abutting these training nodes in any direction and start forming the compute plane that we envisioned. When we click together 354 of these training nodes, we get our compute array. It's capable of delivering 362 teraflops of machine learning compute. And of course, the high bandwidth fabric that interconnects these. And around this compute array, we surrounded it with high-speed, low-power services, 576 of them, to, to enable us to have extreme I.O. bandwidth coming out of this chip. Just to give you a comparison point, this is more than two times the bandwidth coming out of the state-of-the-art networking switch chips which are out there today. And network switch chips are supposed to be the gold standards for I.O. bandwidth. If we put all of it together, we get training-optimized chip, our D1 chip. This chip is manufactured in 7 nanometer technology. It packs 50 billion transistors in a miserly 645 millimeter square. One thing you'll notice, 100% of the area out here is going towards machine learning training and bandwidth. There is no dark silicon. There is no legacy support. This is a pure machine learning machine. <clears throat> and this is the D1 chip in a flip chip BGA package. This was entirely designed by Tesla team internally 
all the way from the architecture to GDS out and package. This chip is like a GPU-level compute with a CPU-level flexibility and twice the network chip-level I.O. bandwidth. If I were to plot the I.O. bandwidth on the vertical scale versus teraflops of compute that is available in the state-of-the-art machine learning chips out there, uh, including some of the startups, you can easily see why our design point excels beyond par. Now that we had this fundamental physical building block, how to design the system around it? Let's see. Since D1 chips can seamlessly connect without any glue to each other, we just started putting them together. We just put <laughs> 500,000 training nodes together to form our compute plane. This is 1,500 D1 chips seamlessly connected to each other. And then we add Dojo interface process, processors on each end. This is the host bridge to typical hosts in the data centers. It's connected with PCI Gen 4 on one side with a high bandwidth fabric to our compute plane. The interface processors provide not only the host bridge, but high bandwidth DRAM shared memory for the compute plane. In addition, the interface processors can also allow us to have a higher radix network connection. In order to achieve this compute plane, we had to come up with a new way of integrating these chips together. And this is what we call as a training tile. This is the unit of scale for our system. This is a groundbreaking integration of 25 known good D1 dice onto a fan-out wafer process, tightly integrated such that it preserves the bandwidth between them. The maximum bandwidth is preserved there. And in addition, we generated a connector, a high bandwidth, high density connector that preserves the bandwidth coming out of this training tile. And this tile, gives us nine petaflops of compute with a massive I.O. bandwidth coming out of it. This, perhaps, is the biggest organic MCM in the chip industry, multi-chip module. It was not easy to design this. There were no tools that existed. All the tools were croaking. Even our compute cluster couldn't handle it. We had to, our engineers, came up with different ways of solving this. They created new methods to make this a reality. Now that we had our compute plane tile with high bandwidth IOs, we had to feed it with power. And here, we came up with a new way of feeding power vertically. We created a custom voltage regulator module that could be reflowed directly, directly onto this fan-out wafer. So what did we did out here is we got chip, package, and we brought PCB-level technology of reflow onto this fan-out wafer technology. This is a lot of integration already out here, but we didn't stop here. We integrated 
the entire electrical, thermal, and mechanical pieces out here to form our training tile fully integrated, interfacing with a 52-volt DC input. It's unprecedented. This is an amazing piece of engineering. Our compute plane is completely orthogonal to power supply and cooling. That makes high bandwidth compute planes possible. What it is, is a nine petaflop training tile. This becomes our unit of scale for our system. And this is real. I can't believe I'm holding nine petaflops out here. <laughs> and in fact, last week, we got our first functional training tile. And on a limited, limited cooling benchtop setup, we got some networks running. And I was told Andre doesn't believe that we could run networks till we could run one of his creations. Andre, this is MinGPT2 running on Dojo. <laughs> Do you believe it? <laughs> Next up, how to form a compute cluster out of it. By now, you must have realized our modularity story is pretty strong. We just put together some tiles. We just tile together tiles. <laughs> a two by three tile in a tray makes our training matrix, and two trays in a cabinet give 100 petaflops of compute. Did we stop here? No. <laughs> we just integrated seamlessly. We broke the cabinet walls. We integrated these tiles seamlessly all the way through, preserving the bandwidth. There is no bandwidth divot out here. There is no bandwidth cliffs. All the tiles are seamlessly connected with the same bandwidth. And with this, we have an exapod. This is one exaflop of compute in 10 cabinets. It's more than a million training nodes that you saw. We paid meticulous attention to that training node, and there are one million nodes out here with uniform bandwidth. Not just the hardware, the software aspects are so important to ensure scaling. And not every job requires a huge cluster, so we planned for it right from the get-go. Our compute plane can be subdivided, can be partitioned into units called dojo processing unit. A DPU consists of one or more uh, D1 chips. Uh, it also has our interface processor and one or more hosts. 
And this can be scaled up or down as per the needs of any algorithm, any network running on it. What does the user have to do? They have to change their scripts minimally. And this is because of our strong compiler suite. It takes care of fine-grained parallelism and mapping the pro problems of mapping the neural networks very efficiently onto our compute plane. Our compiler is, uses multiple techniques to extract parallelism. It can transform the networks to achieve not only fine-grained parallelism using data model graph parallelism techniques, it also can do optimizations to reduce memory footprints. One thing, because of our high bandwidth nature of the fabric is enabled out here, is model parallelism could not have been extended to the same level as what we can. It was limited to chip boundaries. Now we can, because of our high bandwidth, we can extend it to training tiles and beyond. Thus, large networks can be efficiently mapped here at low batch sizes and extract utilization and new levels of performance. In addition, our compiler is capable of handling high-level dynamic control flows like loops, if-then-else, etc. And our compiler engine is just part of our entire software suite. The stack consists of an extension to PyTorch that ensures the same user-level interfaces that ML scientists are used to. And our compiler generates code on the fly such that it could be reused for subsequent execution. It has a LLVM backend that generates the binary for the hardware. And this ensures we can create optimized code for the hardware without relying on even single line of handwritten kernel. Our driver stack takes care of the multi-host, multi-partitioning that you saw a few slides back. And then we also have profilers and debuggers in our software stack. So with all this, we integrated in a vertical fashion. We broke the traditional barriers to scaling. And that's how we got modularity up and down the stack to add to new levels of performance. To sum it all, this is what it will be. It will be a fastest AI training computer, 4x the performance at the same cost, 1.3x better performance per watt, that is energy saving, and 5x smaller footprint. This will be Dojo Computer. And we are not done. We are assembling our first cabinets pretty soon. And we have a whole next generation plan already. We are thinking about 10x more with different aspects that we can do all the way from silicon to the system again. We will have this journey again. We are recruiting heavily for all of these areas. Thank you very much. And next up, Elon will update us 
on what's beyond our vehicle feet, fleet for AI. Here we go. That looked robotic. Looks like awesome to me. No way. Well, better and newer. Coming in 2031. <laughs> Russell's going to have a cow. <laughs> oh, that is obviously a human in a suit. <laughs> is that Grimes? Thank you. <laughs> now, unlike, jo unlike Dojo, obviously that was not real. Uh, so Dojo is real. Uh, the Tesla bot will be real. Um, but uh, basically, if you think about what we're doing right now with the cars, uh, Tesla is arguably the world's biggest robotics company because our cars are, like I said, semi-sentient robots on wheels. Um, yep. And with uh, uh, the full self-driving computer, essentially the, the inference engine on the car, which will keep evolving, obviously, and uh, Dojo, uh, and all the uh, neural nets recognizing the world, understanding how to navigate through the world, uh, it, it kind of makes sense to put that onto a humanoid form. Um, and we're also quite good at uh, sensors and batteries and uh, actuators. so. Uh, we think we'll probably have uh, a prototype sometime next year uh, that uh, is, basically looks like this. Um, and it's intended to um, uh, be friendly, of course, um, <laughs> and uh, navigate through a world uh, built for humans and uh, eliminate oh, dangerous, repetitive, and boring tasks. Um, we're setting it such that it is um, at a mechanical level, at a physical level, uh, you can run away from it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a robot overlord and, and most likely overpower it. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that doesn't ever happen, but um, you never know. So it's, uh, it'll be a, you know, a light, a, a light well, yeah, anyway, five miles an hour. You can, if you can get run past them, that would be fine. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, around, around uh, five foot eight. Um, uh, has sort of a, a screen where the head is for useful information, um, but it's otherwise basically got the autopilot system in it. So it's uh, got cameras, got eight cameras, and um, yeah, uh, full self-driving computer, 
and making use of all of the same tools that we use in the car. So, um, I mean, things that I think that are really hard about uh, having a useful humanoid robot is can it navigate through the world without being expl explicitly trained? Uh, I mean, can, without explicit, like, uh, line by line instructions. Um, can, you, can you talk to it and say, you know, please uh, pick up that bolt uh, and uh, attach it to a car with that wrench? And it should be able to do that. Um, the new employee. To, you know, please, they're you know, going to be building cars. And get me the following groceries. Um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think we can do that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, this I think will be quite, quite profound because if you say, like, what is the economy? It is, uh, at the foundation, it is labor. So, what happens when there is, uh, you know, no shortage of, of labor? Um, this is why I think long term that there will need to be universal basic income. Um, yeah. UBI. But, but not right now, because this robot doesn't work. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> we just need a minute. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I think it's, it's essentially in the future, uh, physical work will be a choice. If you, if you want to do it, you can, but you won't need to do it. And um, yeah, I think it obviously has profound implications for the economy because uh, given that the economy at, at its foundational level uh, is labor, I mean, capital is, uh, capital equipment is just distilled labor, uh, then um, is there any actual limit to the economy? Uh, maybe not. Um, so yeah, join our team and help build this. All right, so I think we'll, we'll have everyone come back on the stage and you guys can ask questions if you'd like. Yeah. When do I get the download button? That's my first question. <laughs> Two weeks. <laughs> I can just, okay, there we go. Uh, first off, I mean, thanks to all the presenters. That was just super cool to see everything. Um, I'm just curious at a high level, and this is kind of a question for really anyone who wants to take it. Um, to what extent are you interested in publishing or open sourcing anything that you do for the future? Got to think about that one. Um, well, I mean, it is fundamentally extremely expensive to create uh, the system, so uh, somehow that has to be paid for. I'm not sure how to pay for it if it's fully open sourced. Um, yeah. 
unless people want to work for free. <laughs> but, but I should say that uh, this is, if other car companies want to license it and use it in their cars, that would be cool. This is not intended to be just limited to Tesla cars. This for the Dojo supercomputer. So did you solve the compiler problem of scaling to these many nodes? Or, is, or if it is solved, is it only applicable to Dojo? Because uh, I'm doing research in um, deep learning accelerators and getting the correct scalability uh, or the distribution, even in one chip, is extremely difficult from the uh, research project's perspective. So I was just curious. Excuse me, Mike or Bill? You want to? Uh, have we solved the problem? No, not yet. Are we confident we will solve the problem? Yes. We have a demonstrated networks on prototype hardware now. We have models, performance models showing the scaling. The difficulty is, as you said, how do we keep the localities? If we can do enough model parallel, enough data parallel to keep most of the things local, we just keep scaling. We have to fit the parameters in our working set in our SRAM that we have, and we flow through the pipe. There's plenty of opportunities. Sorry, as we get further scale for further processor nodes, have more local memory, memory trade-offs with bandwidth, we can do more things. But as we see it now, the applications that Tesla has, we see a clear path. And our, our modularity story means we can have different ratios, different aspects created out of it. I mean, this is something that we chose for our applications internally. Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, we're just saying that the locality portion of it, given that training is such a soft scaling application, uh, even though you have all this compute and have a high bandwidth, um, high bandwidth interconnect, uh, it, it could not uh, give you that performance because you are doing computations on limited memory at different locations. So I was, uh, that, that's very curious to me when you said it's solved because I, I just jumped onto the opportunity and would love to know more uh, given that how much you can open source. Right in there. Yeah. Apply over there. <laughs> yeah, I guess the proof's in the pudding. Um, so we, we should have Dojo operational next year. Um, and. Um, I think we'll, we'll obviously use it for uh, training, video training. It's, I mean, fundamentally this is about like um, the, the, the primary application initially is uh, we've got vast amounts of video and how do we train vast amounts of video uh, uh, as efficiently as possible um, and um, uh, also shorten the amount of time. Like if, if you're trying to train, train to a task, um, like just in general, innovation is um, how many iterations and what is the average progress between each iteration. And so if, if you can reduce the time between iterations, uh, the rate of improvement uh, is, is much better. So um, you know, if it takes like sometimes a couple days for a model to train versus a couple hours, that's, that's a big deal. Um, but the, yeah. the, the asset test here and, and um, you know, what I've told, told the Dojo team is like it's, it's, it's successful if the uh, software team wants to turn off the GPU cluster. But if they want to keep the GPU cluster on, <laughs> it's not successful. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, hi, uh, right over here. 
Uh, love the pre presentation. Thank you for getting us out here. Loved the everything, especially the simulation part of the presentation. I was wondering, um, it looked very, really, very, uh, very uh, realistic. Are there any plans to maybe expand simulation to other parts of the company in any way? Hi, I'm Ian Glow. Uh, I manage the autopilot simulation team. So as we go down the path to full self-driving, we're going to have to simulate more and more of the vehicle. Um, currently, we're simulating vehicle dynamics, but we're going to need BMS. We're going to need the MCU. We're going to need every single part of the vehicle integrated. And that actually makes the autopilot simulator really useful for places outside of autopilot. So I want to expand, or we want to expand eventually to being a universal simulation platform. But I think before that, we're going to be spinning up a lot of Optimus support. And then a little bit further down the line, we have some rough ideas on potentially how to get uh, the simulation infrastructure and some of the cool things we've built into the hands of people outside of the company. Optimus is the code name for the Tesla bot. Oops. <laughs> Optimus subprime. <laughs> Uh, hi, this is Ali Jahanian. Thank you for the great presentation and putting all of these cool things together. Yeah, for a while I have been thinking that uh, the car is already a robot. So why not a human ro robot? And I'm so happy that today you mentioned that you are going to build such a thing. Especially I think that this can uh, give opportunity for raise of uh, putting multi-modality together. For instance, we know that in the example that you are showed that um, there was a dog and with some passengers or running together, uh, the language and symbolic processing can really help for visualizing that. So I was wondering um, if I could hear a little more about these type of uh, putting modalities together, uh, including language and vision. Because I have been working with, for instance, many uh, GPT that Andre put out there. And yeah, I, ha I, I didn't hear much about uh, other modalities that's going in, into the car, or at least in the simulation. Is, is there any comment that you could tell us? Well, well <clears throat> driving is fundamentally uh, uh, basically almost entirely vision neural nets. Uh, like we, basically, it's, it's, it's running on a biological vision neural net. Um, and what we're doing here is a silicon uh, camera neural net. Um, so and there, are, there is some amount of uh, audio. Uh, you know, you want to hear uh, if um, there's like emergency vehicles or, uh, you know, uh, I guess converse with the people in the car. Um, you know, if somebody's yelling something at the, at, at the car, that the car needs to understand what that is. Um, so, you know, all the things that are necessary for it to uh, be fully autonomous. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, uh, thank you for all the great work that you've shown. Uh, my question is for the team, uh, because the data that was shown was seems to be predominantly from the United States that the, f the FST computer is being trained on. But as it is being, uh, as it gets rolled out to different countries, which have their own road systems and you know, challenges that come with it, how do you think that it's gonna scale? Like, like I'm assuming like the ground up is not a very viable solution. So how does it transfer to different countries? 
Uh, well, there, we, we actually do train on using data from I know, probably like 50 different countries. Um, but we have to pick, uh, you know, in, in, as we're trying to advance full self-driving, we need to pick one country. And since we're located here, we pick the U.S. Um, and uh, then we get a lot of questions like, why not even Canada? I'm like, well, because the roads are a little different in Canada, different enough. Um, what? And so when you're trying to solve a hard problem, uh, you want to uh, say like, okay, what's the, let, let's not add additional complexity right now. Uh, let's just solve it for the U.S. and then we'll extrapolate to the rest of the world. But we do use video from all around the world. Yeah. I think a lot, of, a lot of what we are building is very country agnostic. Fundamentally, all the computer vision components and so on don't care too much about country-specific uh, sort of features. Every, you know, different countries have roads and they have curbs and they have cars and everything we're building is fairly general for that. Yeah, and, and there's a, the, the prime directive is don't crash. Right, and that's uh, true for every country. Yes, <laughs> this is the prime directive. <laughs> um, and um, I mean, even right now, the car is pretty good at not crashing. Um, and so just basically, um, whatever it is, don't hit it. Even if it's a UFO that crash landed uh, on, the, on the highway, and uh, still don't hit it. <laughs> um, you should not need to recognize it in order to not hit it. Um, so that's very important. And I want to ask that when you do the photometric process, multi-view geometry, how much of an error do you see? Is it like one millimeter, one centimeter? So I'm just, if it's not confidential. Sorry, the what, question, what is the, uh, what's, the what's the difference between the synthetic, sure. What is the difference between the synthetically created geometry to the actual geometry? Yeah, it's usually within a couple centimeters, um, three or four centimeters. That's the standard deviation. With different kind of modalities to bring down that error. We primarily tried to find scalable ways to label. Um, in some occasions, we use other sensors to help benchmark, but we primarily try to use cameras for this system. Okay, thanks. That explains yeah, why we've seen a few we, we want to aim for the with weird to be sensors accurately to the, the sort of centimeter level, um, you know, something on, on that order. Obviously, it will depend on distance. Like close yeah, by things exactly. can be much more accurate than farther away things, uh, because and they would matter less because the car doesn't have to make decisions much farther away. And as yeah. it comes close, it will become more and more accurate. Exactly. A lot of questions. <laughs> uh, thanks, everybody. My question has to do with sort of AI. That's Rob Mauer. It's been a while since we've heard about the alien dreadnought concept. Is the humanoid that's behind you guys, is that kind of brought out of the production hell timeline and saying that humans are underrated in that process? Um, well, sometimes like, some, I, you know, something that I say is uh, taken to too much of an extreme. Um, there, <laughs> um, there are parts of the Tesla system that are, are almost completely automated. And then there are some parts that are almost completely manual. Um, and uh, if you were to walk through the whole production system, you would see a very wide range from, yeah, like I said, f fully automatic to almost completely manual. Uh, but the vast majority, it's, it's, most of it is, is, is already uh, automated. Um, so, and then with the, some of the design architecture changes, like going to large uh, aluminum, 
uh, high-pressure die-cast uh, components, we, we can take the entire rear third of the car and cast it as a single piece. And now we're going to do the, the front third of the car as a single piece. So the, the body line uh, drops by like 60 to 70 percent in size. Um, but yeah, the, the, the robot is not, is not prompted by specifically by manufacturing needs. It's, it's just that um, we're just obviously making the pieces that are needed for a useful humanoid robot. Um, so I guess we probably should make it. And if we don't, someone else would, will. And so I guess we should make it and make sure it's safe. I should say, like, also manufacturing, volume manufacturing is extremely difficult um, and underrated, and we've gotten pretty good at that. So it's also important for that humanoid robot. Like, how do you make the humanoid robot not be super expensive? And, you know. Hi. Uh, thank you for the presenta <coughs> presentation. And my question will be about scaling of Dojo. And uh, in particular, how do you scale uh, the, the compute nodes in terms of uh, thermal, uh, thermals and power delivery? Because there is only so much heat that you can dispense and only so much power that you can uh, bring to uh, like cluster rack. And how do you plan to scale it? And how do you plan to scale it in multiple data centers? They don't need multiple data centers. Oh, yeah. I think they have yeah, some space. Uh, not for a while, anyway. <laughs> mm, one of yeah. the Dojo engineers. The, um, so from a thermal standpoint and uh, power standpoint, um, we've designed it very modular. So what you saw on the co compute tile, that will, that will cool the entire tile. So what we, what we, once we hook it up to, it is liquid cooled on both the top and the bottom side. Um, it doesn't need anything else. <clears throat> um, and so when, when we talk about clicking these together, um, once we click it to power and we, once we click it to um, uh, cooling, it will be fully powered and fully cooled. <clears throat> and all of that is uh, less than a cubic foot. Yeah, in the, it, so Tesla has a lot of expertise in power electronics and in, uh, in cooling. So we took uh, the power electronics ex expertise from the vehicle powertrain and the sort of uh, the advanced cooling that we developed uh, for the power electronics and for the vehicle and applied that to the supercomputer. Uh, because as you point out, uh, uh, getting heat out is uh, extremely important. It's just really heat limited. So, um, yeah, so it's funny that the, at, at the compute level, it's operating at less than a volt, <laughs> which is uh, yep. a, a very low voltage. There's a lot of amps, so therefore a lot of heat. I squared R is uh, really bites you on the ass. <laughs> Um, hi, uh, my question is also similarly a question of scaling. Um, so it seems like a natural consequence of using, you know, significantly faster training hardware is that you'd be either training models over a lot more data, or you'd be training a lot more complex models, which would be potentially significantly more expensive to run at inference time on the cars. Uh, I guess I was wondering, like, if there was a plan to, like, also. Um, apply Dojo as something that you'd be uh, using like on the self-driving cars, and if so, like, you know, do you foresee additional challenges there? I can, so 
as you could see, like Andre's models are not just for cars. Like there are auto labeling models. There are other models that are like beyond car application, but they feed into the car stack. So, so Dojo will be used for all of those too. Not just the car inference part of the training. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the Dojo's first application will be consuming video data for training for that would then be run in the inference, inference engine on, on the car. But, uh, and, and that I think is an important uh, test to see if it actually is good or but is it actually better than GPU cluster or not? Um, so, uh, but then beyond that, it's basically a, general, a generalized uh, neural net uh, training computer. Uh, but it's very much uh, optimized to be a neural net. So, um, you know, CPUs and GPUs, uh, they're, they're, they're not made to be, um, they're, not, they're not designed specifically for training neural nets. Um, we've been able to make GPUs especially very efficient for for training neural nets, but that's not, that was never their design intent. So it's, it's basically, GPUs are still essentially running a uh, neural, neural net training in emulation mode. So um, with, with Dojo, we're saying like, okay, let's just, let's just ASIC the whole thing. Let's just have this thing that's, it's built for one purpose, and that is neural net training. And, and just generally, any system that is designed for a specific uh, purpose will be better than one that is designed for a general purpose. Hey, I have a question here. Hi. Um, so you described two separate systems. One was for vision, other was for planner and control. Um, does Dojo allow you to train networks that cross that boundary? And second thing is, if you were able to train such networks, would you have the onboard compute capability in the FSD system to be able to run that in, in, under your tight latency constraints? Thanks. Uh, yeah, I think we should be able to train uh, panel networks on Dojo uh, or any GPUs. Uh, it's really uh, invariant to the platform. Um, mm -hmm. and I think, uh, if, if anything, once we make this entire thing end-to-end, -end, it'd be more efficient than decoding a lot of these intermediate states, so we should be able to run faster if you make the entire thing end-to-end uh, -end neural networks. We can avoid a lot of decoding of these intermediate states and only decode only essential things required for driving the car. Certainly, and to NNIS and is the guiding principle behind a lot of the network developments. And over time, in the stack, neural networks have taken on more and more functionality. And so uh, we want everything to be trained end-to-end -end because we see that that works best. Uh, but we are building it incrementally. So right now, the interface, there is vector space, and we are consuming it in the planner. But nothing really fundamentally prevents you from actually taking features and eventually fine-tuning end-to-end. Uh, so I think that's definitely where this is headed. And the discovery really is like, what, what are the right architectures that we need to place in the network blocks to make it amenable to that task? So like Andre described, we can place spatial RNNs to help with the uh, perception problem. Uh, and now it's just neural network. So similarly for planning, we need to bake in search and optimization into the, planning, into the network architecture. And once we do that, you should be able to do planning very quickly, uh, similar to C++ algorithms. Okay. Um, I, I think I had a question very similar to what he was asking about. Um, it seems like a lot of neural nets are around computer vision and kind of traditional planning. You had model predictive control and solving convex optimization problems very quickly. And um, I'd wonder if there's a compute architecture that's more suited for convex optimization or the model predictive control uh, solutions very quickly. Yeah, 100%. We want to bake in, like I said earlier, we want to bake in these architectures that do, say, model predictive control, but it just like replace some of the blocks with 
neural networks, uh, or if we know the physics of it, we can also use physics-based models, part of the neural networks for our path itself. So we are going to go towards a hybrid system where uh, we will have neural network blocks inter uh, inter uh, placed together with uh, physics-based blocks and more neural networks later. So it will be a hybrid stack, and what we know to do well, we place with explicitly, and what the networks are graded, we'll use the networks to optimize this. Uh, so it'll be an end-to-end stack with this architecture baked in. I, I mean, I do think that uh, so, as long as you've got like um, surround video uh, neural nets for understanding what's going on and can uh, convert uh, the surround video into vector space, then you basically have a video game. Um, and if uh, you know, if you it's like if you're in Grand Theft Auto or whatever, you can you can make the cars drive around and pedestrians walk around without crashing. So um, you you can do. It, you don't have to have a neural net for control and, and planning, um, but it's probably ultimately better. Um, so, but I think you can probably get to. In fact, I'm, I'm sure you can get to much safer than human uh, with control and planning, um, pr primarily in C++ with uh, perception, vision in uh, neural nets. Hi. Um. My question is, we've seen uh, other companies, for example, use reinforcement learning and machine learning to optimize power consumption in data centers and all kinds of other internal processes. My question is, are, t is Tesla using machine learning within its manufacturing design or other engineering <laughs> processes? Um, I, 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 <laughs> I discourage use of machine learning <laughs> because it's really difficult. Unless you basically, unless you have to use machine learning, don't do it. <laughs> um, it's usually a red flag when somebody says we want to use machine learning to solve this task. I'm like, that sounds like bullshit. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that means you don't understand the problem. The time you do not need it. Um, so yeah, it, but it, so it's, it's kind of like a it, it, you you know reach for machine learning when you when you need to not. But it's, I've not found it to be a convenient, easy thing to do. Um, it's a super hard thing to do. Now, that may change if you've got a humanoid robot that can, you know, understand normal instructions. Um, but uh, yeah, generally minimize use of machine learning in the uh, factory. Hi. Um, based on your videos from the simulator, uh, it looked like a combination of graphical and neural approaches. I'm curious what the set of underlying techniques uh, that are used for your simulator and specifically for neural rendering, if you can share. Yeah, so we're doing, uh, at the bottom of the stack, it's just traditional game techniques, uh, just rasterization, real time, uh, you know, very similar to what you'd see in like GTA. Um, on top of that, we're doing real-time ray tracing, and then those results were really hot off the press. Um, I mean, we had that little asterisk at the bottom that that was from last night. Uh, we're going into the neural rendering space. We're trying out a bunch of different things. Uh, we want to get to the point where the neural rendering is the, the cherry on the top that pushes it to the point where the models will never be able to overfit on our simulator. Um, currently, we're, we're doing things similar to Photorealism enhancement. Uh, there's a paper, a recent paper, photo, enhancing photorealism enhancement. Um, but we can do a lot more than the, what they could do in that paper because we have way more labeled data, way more compute, um, and also much 
we have a lot more control over our environments. Um, and we also have a lot of people who can help us make this run at real time. Um, but we're going to try whatever we can do to get to the point where we can train everything just with the simulator uh, if we had to. But we will never have to because we have so much real world data that no one else has. Um, it's just to fill in the little gaps in the real world. Yeah, I mean, as we, the simulator is, is, is very helpful when there's like the, these rare cases like, like um, you know, like collision avoidance right before an accident. Um, and then, the, ironically, the, the better our cars become at avoiding accidents, the fewer accidents there are, so then our training set is small, so then we have to make them crash in the simulation. <laughs> so it's like, okay, minimize potential injury to uh, pedestrians and, and people in the car. You, uh, you have five meters, you're traveling at, uh, you know, 20 meters per second. Um, what actions would minimize prob probability of injury? And we can run that in some. <laughs> so. like cars driving down the wrong side of the highway, that kind of thing. Happens occasionally, but not that often. Um, for your humanoid context, I'm wondering if you've decided on what use cases you're going to start with and what the grand challenges um, are in that context to make this viable. Well, I think for the humanoid, for the Tesla bot, um, Optimus, uh, it's, it's basically going to start with uh, just dealing with uh, work that is uh, boring, repetitive, and dangerous. Um, basically, what is the work that people would least like to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, hi. Um, so quick question about um, your simulations. Um, obviously, they're not perfect right now. So are you using any sort of domain adaptation techniques to basically bridge the gap between your simulated data and your actual real-world data? Because I imagine it's kind of dangerous to just deploy models which are solely trained on simulated data. So maybe some sort of explicit domain adaptation or something. Is that going on anywhere in your pipeline? So currently, uh I mean, we're producing the videos straight out of the simulator, uh, the, the full clips of the kinematics and everything, and then we're just immediately training on them, but it's not the entire data set. It's just a small targeted segment, and we only are evaluating based on real-world video. Um, we're paying a lot of attention to make sure we don't overfit, uh, and if we have to start doing fancier things, we will, but currently it's, we're not having an issue with it overfitting on the simulator. We will as we scale up the data, um, and that's what we're hoping to use uh, neural rendering to bridge that gap, to push that even further out. Um, we've already done things where we're using like the same network as in the car, but retrain it to detect sim versus real to drive our art decisions. Um, and that's actually helped um, prevent some of these things as well. Yeah, just to emphasize that overwhelmingly, the data set is the real video from the cars on the actual roads. Uh, nothing's weirder or, uh, or has more corner cases than reality. Um, it's, gets really strange out there. Um, but, uh, but then so if, if we find, say, a few examples of something very odd, um, uh, and there's some very, some, some very odd pictures we've seen, um, then in order to train it effectively, we, we want to um, create simulations, uh, say, a thousand simulations that are, that are variants of that quirky thing that we saw. To fill in the, some important gaps and, and make the system better, and really all, all of this is about over time just um, reducing the probability of of a crash or an injury, 
Um, and uh, it's called the, the March of Nines, like how do you get to 99.999999% uh, safe, you know? And it, yeah, each nine is an order of magnitude difficulty increase. <clears throat> hey, all, uh, thanks so much for uh, the presentation. I was curious about the Tesla bot. Um, specifically, I'm wondering if there are any specific applications that you think the humanoid form factor lends itself to. And then secondary, um, because of its human form factor, is emotion or companionship at all thought about on the product roadmap at all? <laughs> um, well, we, we certainly hope this does not feature in a dystopian sci-fi movie. Uh, Too late. But, uh, you know, like, <laughs> really, at this point, we're, we're saying, like, maybe this robot can, it just, we're, try, I'm, we're trying to be as literal as possible. Can it do um, boring, dangerous, repetitive uh, jobs that people don't want to do? And, uh, you know, once we can have it do that, then maybe it can do other things too, but that's the, that's the thing that would be really great to have. So, it could be your buddy too, I mean, if I want to have it be your, your friend and whatever. <laughs> I've got a self-driving computer in me and all they do is have me unplug superchargers. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so. Um, so, firstly, thanks for the, the really incredible presentation. Um, my question is on the AI side. Um, so one thing we've been seeing is that with some of these language modeling AIs, we've seen that scaling has just had incredible impacts in their capabilities and what they're able to do. Um, so I was wondering whether you're seeing similar kinds of effects of scaling in, in your uh, neural networks and your applications. Absolutely. A bigger network, typically we see it performs better, provided you have the data to also train it with. And this is also what we see for ourselves. Uh, definitely in the car, we have some latency consideration to be mindful of. And so there we have to get creative to actually deploy much, much larger networks. But as we mentioned, we don't only train neural networks for what goes in the car. We have these um, auto-labeling pipelines that can utilize models of arbitrary size. So in fact, we've trained a number of models that are not deployable, that are significantly larger and work much better because we want, like, we want much higher accuracy for the auto-labeling. And so we've done a lot of that, and there we definitely see this trend. Yeah, that's yeah, the, the same the thing. Order labeling Jim is uh, an extremely important about. part of this whole, whole situation. Um, without the order labeling, I think we would not be able to solve the self-driving right. problem. Yeah. It's kind of a funny form of distillation where you're using these very massive models plus the structure of the problem to do this reconstruction, and then you distill that into neural networks that you deploy to the car. But we basically have a lot of neural networks and a lot of tasks that are never intended to go into the car. Yeah, and also, as uh, time goes on, there you get new frames of information. So you really want to make sure your computer is distributed across all the information as opposed to just taking a single frame and hogging on it for, say, 200 milliseconds. You actually will have newer frames coming in. So you want to like, use all of the information and not just use that one frame. I think one of the things we're seeing is that the car's predictive ability is, um, is quite is eerily good. Um, it's, it's really getting better than human in terms of predicting, like you say, like what pr predict what this road will look like uh, out when it's out of sight, like it's around the bend, and it predicts the road with very high accuracy. Um, and uh, you know, 
pedestrians or cyclists wherever behind, you know, where it just sees a little corner of the bicycle and a little bit through, through the windows of the bus. And it's, it's, its ability to predict things is going to be much better than humans, like really way, way beyond. Right. Yeah, we see this often where we have something that is not visible, but the neural network is making up stuff that actually is very sensible. Sometimes it's eerily good, and you have to like, you're wondering if this is in the training set. And yeah. actually, actually, in the limit, you can imagine the neural net has enough parameters to potentially remember Earth. So in the limit, it could actually give you the correct answer, and it's kind of like an HD map back, baked into the weights of the neural net. Yeah. I have a question about the design of the Tesla bot, specifically um, in order, uh, how is it important is it to maintain that humanoid form, um, to build hands with five fingers uh, that also respects the weight limits could be quite challenging. You might have to use cable driven and then that also causes all kinds of issues. Um, I, I mean, this is just gonna be bot version one. I mean, we'll see. So the, it, it's, it needs to be able to do things that, that people do um, and uh, you know, be a generalized you know, humanoid robot. Um, I mean, you could, make, you could potentially have it give, give it like you know, two fingers and a thumb or something like that. Um, for, you know, for now, we'll, we'll, we'll give it five fingers and, and see, see if that works out okay. It probably will. It, it doesn't need to be like, uh, you know, have like inc incredible grip strength. Um, but it needs to be able to work with tools, so and you know carry a bag, that kind of thing. All right, thanks a lot for the presentation. Um, so an old professor of mine told me that um, the thing he disliked a lot about his Tesla was that the autopilot UX didn't really inspire much confidence in the system, especially when like objects are spinning, classifications are flickering. I was wondering. Even if you have a good self-driving system, how are you working on convincing Tesla owners, other road users, or other road users, and just the general public that your system is safe and reliable? Well, I, th I think that's that's the cars. A while back, cars used to spin. They don't. They don't spin anymore. Not in. The, if you've seen the FSD beta videos, they they're they're pretty solid, um, and they will be getting more solid. Yeah, as you add more and more data and train these multi-camera networks, like these are pretty recent, actually, just like a few months old, uh, and it's still improving. It's not a done product, uh, and we, in our minds, we can clearly see how this is just going to be like perfect, perfect virtual space. Because why not? Uh, all the information is there in the videos. It should produce it given lots of data and good architectures, um, and this is just an intermediate point in that timeline. I mean, it's it's clearly headed to way better than a human, without question. Hi, here. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the short to medium term economics of the bot. I guess I understand the long term vision of replacing physical labor, but I also think repetitive, dangerous, and boring tasks tend to not be so highly compensated. And so I just don't see how to reproduce the, you know, start with a supercar and then break into like the lower end of the market. How do you do that for a robot humanoid? Well, I guess we'll just have to see. <laughs> Hello. Hi. 
Um, I was curious to know how the car AI prioritizes um, occupant safety versus pedestrian safety, and what thought process goes into like deciding how to bake this into the AI. Well, I mean, we the, the, th the thing to appreciate is that from the computer standpoint, everything is moving slowly. So, uh, thing, you know, to a human, uh, things are moving fast. To the computer, they are not moving fast. So I, I think this is, in reality, somewhat of a false dichotomy. Not that it will never happen, but it will be very rare. Um, you know, if you think it was like, you know, going the other direction, like rendering, you know, with full ray tracing, uh, neural net enhanced uh, graphics on something like Cyberpunk or in any, you know, advanced video game, you know, doing 60 frames a second, uh, perfectly rendered. Like, how long would it take a person to even render one frame? And without any mistakes? Can't be done. I mean, it would take like a month just to just render one, one frame out of 60 in a second in a video game. It's uh, computers are fast and humans are slow. I mean, for example, uh, on, on the rocket side, the, you, you, you cannot steer the rocket to orbit. Um, we actually hooked up a joystick to see if anyone could steer the rocket to orbit, but you need uh, to react at roughly six, seven hertz. Uh, people can't do it. Not even at, now that's pretty low, you know. We're, we're talking more like aiming for like 30 hertz type of thing. Hi, um, with the, oh, over here. Uh, with hardware three, there's been lots of speculation that with larger nets, it's hitting the limits of what it can provide. How much headroom has the extended compute modes provided, and at what point would hardware four be required, if at all? Well, um, that's a good question. That, uh, hardware three or the full self-driving computer one uh, will be able to uh, achieve full self-driving at a safety level much greater than a human. Probably, I don't know, at least two or three hundred percent better than a human. Um, then, obviously, there will be a future hardware four or full self-driving computer two. Um, which we'll probably introduce with the Cybertruck, um, so maybe in about a year or so. Uh, that is probably, well, that'll be about four times more capable, roughly. Um, but it, it, it's really just gonna be, like, can we take it from, say, for argument's sake, 300% safer than a person to 1,000% safer? Um, you don't wanna come up with like that cash. Just like there are people on the road who, with, with varying driving abilities. Um, but we still let people drive. It, you don't have to be the world's best driver to be on the road. Um, so, as we see. Um, so, yeah. You guys want to say anything? Sorry. Um, so, are you worried at all, since you don't have any depth sensors on the car, that people might try like adversarial attacks, like printed out photos or something to try to trick the RGB? Neural network. Yeah, like what? Pull some like Wiley Cody stuff. You know, like <laughs> paint the tunnel on the on the wall. It's like oops. <laughs> um, oops. We haven't really seen much of that. Um, I mean, for sure. Like like right now, if you 
most likely, if you had like a, a T-shirt with a, that the T-shirt with like a stop sign on it, which I actually have a T-shirt with a stop sign on it, and and then you like flash the car, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it will it will stop. <laughs> I, I proved that. Um, but we can obviously, as we see these uh, adversarial attacks, then we can we can train uh, the cars to, uh, you know, notice that. Well, it's actually a person wearing a T-shirt with a stop sign on it, so it's probably not a real stop sign. You know. yeah. Hi. Uh, my question is about um, the prediction and the planning. I'm curious, uh, how do you incorporate uncertainty into your uh, you know, planning algorithms? Do, do you just basically assume, you, you know, you mentioned that you run the, um, the autopilot for all of the other cars on the road. Do you assume that they're all going to follow those rules, or are you accounting for the possibility that, well, they might be bad drivers, for example? Yeah, we do uh, account for multimodal futures. It's not that we just choose one. We account for, okay, this person can actually do many things. Uh, and uh, we use their actual uh, physics and kinematics to make sure that they're not doing a thing that would interfere with us before we act. Um, so if there's any uncertainty, we are conservative and then would yield to them. Of course, there's a limit to this, because if you're too conservative, then it's probably not practical. So at some point, we have to assert. Uh, and we, even then, we make sure that the other person can yield to us and um, act sensibly. I should say, like, <clears throat> um, like w before we introduce something into the fleet, we will uh, run it in shadow mode. Um, and, so, and, and we'll see what, what would this neural net, for example, ha have done in this particular situation. Um, uh, because, and then effectively, the drivers uh, are training it, training the net. So if the neural net would have uh, controlled and, you know, and say veered right, but the person actually went left, and it's like, oh, there was a difference. Why was there that difference? Yeah, and secondly, so we also... Sorry. All the human drivers are essentially training the neural net uh, as to what is the correct course of action. Assuming it doesn't then end up in, an, in a crash, you know, it doesn't count in that case. Yeah, and secondly, <laughs> we have various estimates of uncertainty, like flicker, uh, and when we uh, observe this, we actually uh, say if you're not able to see something, we actually slow down the car to be, uh, again, safe and get more information before acting. Uh, yeah, we don't want to be brazen and just go into something that we don't know about. We only go into places where we know about. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So it should be like, the, the, aspirationally, the, the car should be the less it knows, the slow you know, the, the slower it goes. Yeah. <laughs> this is not true at some point, but now it's Yeah, 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 we've, yeah. Should be speed proportionate to confidence. It's pretty cool to see it drawing the map as it went. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the presentation. So and, and the predictions too. I am curious, mm -hmm. um, appreciate the fact that the FSD is improving, but if you have the ability to improve one component along the AI stack that presented today, whether it is simulation, data collections, planning and control, et cetera, which one, in your opinion, is going to have the biggest impact for the performance of the full self-driving system? They all matter. <laughs> it's There's like the area under the curve of it's like multiple points. And if you <laughs> improve anything, uh, it should improve the area. I mean, the short, short term, it's arguably we, we need all of the nets to be um, surround video. Uh, and so we still have some legacy. This is very short term. Obviously, we're fixing it fast. But there's, there's, there's still some nets that are not using surround video. 
Um, and I, I think ideally they'd all use surround video. Yeah. I think a lot of puzzle pieces are there for success. We just need more strong people to also just help us <laughs> yeah, make that, it work. Yeah. That is the actual bottleneck. So that is the yeah. actual bottleneck, I would say, and really one yeah. of the reasons that we are putting on this event. Exactly. Well, well said, uh, Andre. That um, th There's just a tremendous amount of work to do to make, make it work. So that's why we need um, talented people to join and, and uh, solve the problem. Uh, thank you for the great presentation. Lots of my questions answered. But one thing is, uh, when imagine that now you have a large amount of data, even unnecessary, how do you consider that like uh, there is a forgetting problem in uh, neural networks? Like, how uh, are you considering those aspects? And also, another one: uh, are you considering an online learning or continuous learning, so that maybe each driver can have their version of uh, self-driving software. I think, I think I know the literature that you're referring to. That's not some of the problems that we've seen, and we haven't done too much continuous learning. Uh, we train the system once, we fine-tuned a few times, um, that sort of goes into the car. We need something stable that we can evaluate extensively, and then we think that that's good, and that goes into cars. So we don't do too much learning on spot or continuous learning, and don't face the forgetting problem. Uh, but there will be settings that you can say, like, if you do, do you want, are you typically a conservative driver or, or, do, or do you want to drive fast or slow? You know, it's uh, like, I'm late for my, I'm late for the airport. Reckless uh, or extremely reckless. Than, you know, basically the kind of- <laughs> Bad max mode or, or not? <laughs> it's like, I'm late, I'm late for the flight, please hurry. Um, or take it easy or you know, whatever your style is. Chill mode or ludicrous. Mad max or ludicrous, please. So let's take a few, a few more questions here. So. And then we'll, we'll call it a day. All right. So as our models have become more and more capable, and I guess you're deploying these models into the real world, um, one thing I guess that's possible is for AI to become more, I guess, misaligned with what humans desire. So I guess, is this something that you guys are worried about as you guys deploy more and more robots? Um, or do you guys, like, we'll solve that problem when we get there? Elon is. <laughs> yeah, I think that we should be worried about AI. Um, now, like. What we're trying to do here is, I'd say, narrow AI, uh, pretty narrow, like just make the car drive better than a human. Um, and then have the humanoid robot be able to do ba basic stuff. Um, uh, you know, so um, at the point at which it, you sort of start to get to superhuman intelligence, uh, yeah, I don't know, all bets are off. Um, but, you know, and that, that's, that's, that's quite, you know, That'll, that'll probably happen, but, but what, we're, what we're trying to do here at, at Tesla is make useful AI that people love and, and is uh, unequivocally good. That's our, you know, we'll try to aim for that. Okay, maybe one, one more question. Hi, uh, my question is about the camera sensor. In the beginning of the talk, you had mentioned about building a synthetic animal. And if you think about it, like, a camera is a very poor approximation of a human eye, and a human eye does a lot more than take a sequence of frames. Have you looked into, like, there are, like, these days are, like, cameras, like, event cameras? Have you looked into them, or are you looking into a more flexible camera design or building your own camera, for example? Well, with Hardware 4, we will, we will have uh, a next-generation camera, uh, but I have to say that the, the current cameras 
we've, we have not reached the limit of the current cameras. Uh, so, um, and I'm confident we can achieve full self-driving with much higher safety than, than, than humans uh, with the current cameras and current uh, compute hardware. Um, but, you know, it would be good to be 1,000% better rather than 300% better. Um, so um, so we'll, we'll see continued evolution on, on our levels uh, in pursuit of that goal. And I think in the future, uh, people will look back and say, um, wow, I can't believe we had to drive these cars ourselves. You know, it, it'll, like self-driving cars will just be <laughs> just a normal, like self-driving elevators. You know, uh, elevators used to have elevator operators. And uh, there's someone there with like, you know, a big, big relay switch uh, operating the elevator. And then every now and then they'd get tired or, you know, some, make a mistake and shear somebody in half. So, um, so now we, uh, you know, we made elevators automatic. And you just go and you press the button and you can be in a 100-story skyscraper and don't really worry about it. Just go and press the button and uh, the elevator takes you where you want to go. Um, but it used to be that all elevators were operated manu manually. And it'll be the same thing like for cars. All, all cars will be automatic. Um, and then, um, and, and electric, obviously. Um, so there will still be some gasoline cars and some manual cars, just like there are still some horses. So, um, all right, well, th thanks everyone for coming, and I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, the presentation, and thank you for the great questions. All right. Wow. I think Hockey Dane nailed it that uh, all the stuff about neural networks and uh, training, uh, it's going to fly over the heads of most of the uh, people writing articles, and they're going to just be talking about the robot. Yeah. <laughs> Not about how many exaflops uh, was. Uh... <laughs> well, here's, here's my question. Um, Dojo is coming out. Uh, it's not built yet. Uh, but their plan is to ramp up and have this supercomputer ready for for testing, essentially. It's, it's, is it being designed in order to speed self-driving? Or is it being built for another purpose? Oh, no. It's uh, definitely built for self-driving. So one of the things that Elon said in there is that uh, fast iteration is what leads to fast improvement. So right now, if it takes them 24 hours to train their neural network, and then they run it in shadow mode, and they find that it does something wrong, and then they change the data set or some parameter, now they have to retrain it and then deploy it again. Uh, if they can do that in two hours instead of 24 hours, now they can get to a much better network much faster. So you're saying, uh, you and they are saying that really they can't achieve full self-driving until Dojo is active because of the speed factor. Uh, it would just, it would take years where with Dojo, maybe that becomes months. Okay. So, you know, they're, it's not like, like they're changing what they're doing. It's just that this Dojo machine is so much faster and has so much more capability that it will speed the development factor across the board. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, you you um, learn by doing, and uh, the faster you can do it, the more iterations you can do, the the better your result is, because you don't know what you don't know until you find that. Ooh, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what what do you think they're current? Uh, they're using obviously just bought off the shelf. 
computers at this point or networks yeah, or it combinations? Like 12,000 GPUs that they have networked in their current supercomputer. Right. And, and uh, like Elon said, um, GPUs can do this, but that's not what they were designed for. Yeah. And uh, they were designed as graphics processors. And they just happen to also be able to do a lot of really cool AI stuff. But if you purpose build something for AI training, um, it can be significantly faster because that's all it does. OK. So um, yeah, that's uh, a lot of it was over my head. Like. <laughs> You're the only one, and it's like, wow! I know they were in and out of stuff I could get. A vast amount of nothing uh, after listening to this uh, whole thing, um, but uh, and I, I saw from the comments that that others were feeling the same way at certain points in the presentation. That uh, this is just way over many people's heads. And uh, as Hockey Day has said, the, the, the news media is not going to pick up on that at all. Like, it's just going to be dropped completely. Uh, right. How bad is the stock going to be tomorrow after the the, the, the NFLs get hold of it? Yeah, uh, uh, it could swing wildly. It, it, it may not do anything. I, I don't think any of us really know how it's going to be affected tomorrow. Like, it's uh, it, it, based on this, uh, again, this is kind of, Remember when we talked about in previous episodes when the first Gigafactory was coming online and Elon would get up on stage and and uh, he didn't talk about the next Gigafactory. He talked about the next five Gigafactories. Yes. <laughs> so this kind of kind of put it, you know, that that is out there again. Now he's looking at a robot um, that is human formed uh, that can operate in take over jobs that are dangerous that people don't want or are tedious. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it, that, that's a real stretch too. You know, that's something that but, uh, is not just that also uh, the, the next version of Dojo and the next two versions of the full self-driving hardware. Uh, he's, he's apparently not afraid of Osborning himself. <laughs> right. Yes. We heard the next one comes out with the Cybertruck, and it's going to be four times faster than the current one. That With slightly better cameras, cool. but but that's mm -hmm. that's that's not a surprise either, though, is it? No. Just in the world of computers, if you wait a couple of years, you're going to get something that's two or four times faster than right. what's currently out there. I don't and know. Me day. Yeah, they said they yeah. were already working on the next. Yeah, and and that's that's like uh, that that kind of thing is built into the scenario for any computer. It's yeah, right. Samsung uh, also told us that they're building the cameras. They they said it in so many words. Yeah. <laughs> mm hmm. So, and you can bet those cameras have better resolution. You can bet those cameras are are better, uh, you know, aimed at the proper job that they want them to do. Yeah. Right. And the, the field of view, the reflection, all that stuff is right. is being baked in based on the data that they're pulling from those systems today. That's but Elon was careful to say in a couple points that the current cameras and the current hardware are enough to support full self driving. Yes, uh, better than a human. Their goal. So, uh, you right. know, they, you know, you didn't want them to say, "Well, yeah, we'll probably require another update." No, no, you don't want to. You don't want but, to but, go down that road. But as a matter of comfort and 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 and, and everything like that, he did tell us with AP uh, AP two point five, uh, they'll upgrade it as many times as they need to to accomplish the mission. And then he tonight he defined the mission as three hundred percent better than a human. So if if the current hardware cameras or or 
chip can't do that, then we will get a new chip and new cameras just like we did last time. 2.5 definitely couldn't have done this. We saw right. that. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think he wants to spend that money if he can help us. No, he, he doesn't. <laughs> and the, the, stock, the stock doesn't want him to do that either. You right, because there's so many more cars out now than there were in the end of 2019. Exactly. That's the point, yeah. So, uh, but the, I don't know, the, the robot thing, we kind of called it. Uh, we did, but <laughs> we didn't understand why. There were, there were. <laughs> I uh, was the naysayer and I was wrong, I'll admit there it. There were breadcrumbs like, no. uh, laying around that kind of pointed in that direction. But uh, I, you know, that's, it's still shocking to hear it. But it's, it's funny that um, as he announced the robot, of course, details were extremely rare. Like the, yeah. there oh, wasn't yeah. a lot of details. There's not it's a lot a of substance uh, to the announcement. Uh, it's it's basically, hey, if you guys want to help us build this, that's who we're lo- we're looking for. You, you know, we want you to come and build cool things with us. Here's our latest cool thing that's coming. Yeah, that is true. It is a great recruiting tool because um, you might think, oh, well, they're almost done with full self-driving. Why would I want to go there? Well, no, because <laughs> they have a much bigger challenge coming for something that has to navigate the real world with people and be able to manipulate things and understand, you know, go pick up that cup and know what that means and what to do with it. And Yeah, definitely. Plus, you got to be able to program challenges. and manage that massive machine, the, uh, the, the, the dojo, the fully assembled dojo. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more to do. And Cook's uh, uh, asking about the, uh, the the Optimus is going to be for deployment on Mars or the Moon. That's, that's I think so too. But whether yeah. or not he's saying this what it's for, but that's that's exactly he needs it for everything he's done so far has been for Mars from it the does boring look a company bit like to the Starman, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, Starman, uh, Mass Effect, Scorians, and uh, Star like you called earlier Star Trek uh, the uniform. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. But the whole black shoulders and black yeah. head and mirror—it yeah. still looks menacing as hell. <laughs> it does. It does. But at the same time, with the limitations they put into it, like yeah, most of us could take it in a fight. But I'm thinking, on the moon and on Mars, Lower those gravity. limits using the same motors—if if you don't actually say, "Hey, limit yourself to to so many newtons," uh, if it just is just effect of, "Hey, this is fighting gravity." It's going to be so much more powerful building the moon base and the Mars base. That's, no, and that, that's a great. That's a great point. A lot of Elon's goals are all rolled into getting to Mars. Wouldn't this be a great Mars worker, where humans uh, we know are going to have trouble being on the surface of Mars? Yeah. Uh, in fact, they're, they're talking about habitats that will be underground for the humans. Having a robot uh, group that could go out and perform maintenance or functions on the surface without fear of being harmed uh, would be a, a huge plus uh, to have uh, in your arsenal uh, on yeah. Mars. The robot would just need a dust suit. It wouldn't need a habitation suit. It would just need to be able to keep the, the regolith out or uh, whatever they call the Mars dust and out of its joints and the, the, the processors and stuff. And then a human would need all of that plus you know, scuba. Life support. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not just scuba, but also uh, HVAC and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, that's, uh, that's, it's amazing. Uh, we, we kind of called it, uh, but I was still kind of surprised it happened. Uh, that it, it actually was announced. Yeah. So, uh, and so in this, this overriding situation, that's why I'm thinking that those limits might actually be the physical limits of the motors that way on earth. Like Elon said, we could fight it off if we had to. 
Uh, now, if you got 20 of them, I don't know that you could do anything. I mean, because you put 100 kids on one adult and uh, they could take him. And, uh, <laughs> but, but, but I, the same. I also would say, Casey, just like the computers we talked about that are two times and four times faster and stronger and better. Yeah. Once once version one comes out, you know version two and three and four are coming. So yeah. guess what? Uh, they'll they'll probably leak leak frog its abilities uh, in those uh, in those multipliers as well. Although yeah. I think they were purposely making it uh, slow weak. and weak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said if he wanted us to be able to outrun it and fight it. So yeah. hopefully he keeps that in mind. But um, I'm then wondering once you get to Mars and we get to Mars, are they all get a firmware update to make them slow and weak on 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 Exoplanets. Yeah. All it is right. is flipping from chill mode to madness. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that's all it right. takes. Yeah, if you build them for purpose build for the moon or Mars, you could do all kinds of stuff. You could, yeah, uh, yeah. But at the same time, if we go to the moon or Mars, uh, assuming that the the journey doesn't atrophy us, then we will also get that same level of boosts. The only ones we'll have to worry about are uh, actual uh, people. That, that grew up on the moon. I don't know what you call them or actual Martians. Martians. Yes. <laughs> well, oh, the Martians. Like, yeah. What do you call the moon people? Loonins? <laughs> Loonins. Yeah. <laughs> Loonians. <laughs> Loonies. <laughs> Loonies. <laughs> Are you talking about people or my money? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> knows. Faster. He puts a V6 knows. in it. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, uh, amazing presentation. Like I said, a lot of it went over my head, but uh, yeah. just looking at the overall, you know, 10,000 foot look, um, impressive. Uh, I don't know, you know, obviously the, the, uh, the, how many teraflops is better and the, obviously more is better, but uh, uh, this custom built machine designed to help uh, parse the video that's coming in from all these cars and to look through different, um, uh, I guess scenarios uh, to uh, help the system learn faster is their ultimate goal, and that's uh, and uh, anything that would speed it, of course, uh, helps us get the full self-driving quicker. Yeah. Uh, regarding whether the stock to be up or down tomorrow, my guess is down, unless they only let the tech people do the reporting to the public, and by the tech people, I mean the people who can understand even a portion of this and then distill it. Uh, but I have a feeling they're just going to let the regular. Uh, financial people, the regular people who think Tesla's a car company, the regular no know nothings, and it's going to go down. And it might go down hard, but it'll come back. This is not stock advice. <laughs> no, it's not stock advice. It, it was a, it was, it was me just random on the internet, yeah. <laughs> guessing what's going to happen based don't on. Don't take past stock input. advice from a podcast. Any <laughs> right. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, so uh, my my alerts are going crazy. Elon apparently is on Twitter now. Uh, he's liking a bunch of stuff. He's put out a couple tweets. Mm. Um, so I will be digging into that after this. But wow, <laughs> I've had like twenty notifications already. <laughs> blink, blink, blink. <laughs> well, all right. This has been fun. It has three hours and thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of which an hour was waiting. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. So let's do this. And uh, well, actually, Mark's got some stuff to say before I do this. Well, uh, if uh, you like uh, what you saw here tonight, uh, please give us a thumbs up. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't already. We do a weekly podcast every Wednesday, and uh, we do special features as well. So uh, thanks very much for joining us this evening, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time on The Tesla Life. And check out Patrick at carsofcores.net. Check out me at youtube.com slash Casey Green. 
and we'll catch you real soon. Bye, everybody. Good night. Thank you, Lee Moon. I don't hear any music. Oh, you know, oh I didn't turn off my stunner. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Oh, there it goes. There we go. There we got some. We got some. <laughs> yes. Bye, everybody. Stay positive. Test negative. And enjoy a future free from fossil fuels, baby. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs>